0: This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios,
1: here's Mike Gill. A Thursday edition of the Sports Bash is live here on 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. What's going on, everybody? I'm your host, Mike Gill. Josh Henning is producing today's show. And you out there, it is a beautiful day down the shore, as we know. And a lot of good things going on around us. Phillies in action today. Nothing, nothing in the third. We'll keep you up to date on that. Plus, the NBA playoffs, the conference finals, they continue. Had a uh, ugly game last night, which I do want to get into based on the outcome and the margin of victory in the game last night, as we always kind of ask the question, like, what does the margin of victory really say? And there was somebody talking about this this morning, that the Dallas Mavericks have been beaten by 25 or more points for the third time in these playoffs, to which I said, all right, so what does that mean then? If a team loses by 25 points, many times the fan base or... Um people will just say that's oh, an embarrassment and it's horrible. This is a team that's in the conference championship. So they've lost three times now by over twenty or twenty five or more points, and they're in the they're a step away from the championship. Isn't that enough for us to say that margin of victory really doesn't give an indication of much other than you just had a bad night? And I think if you look at the box score from last night, and you can't just always go right to the box score and take things away from the box score. But what was the key number in that game? I mean, everybody would watch that game and say the same thing. I think the Dallas Mavericks would take that game over and over and over again. They just need to make shots. I mean, Dallas last night couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. They had open looks all night long, right? And they just could not – I mean, I'm watching that game thinking, you got to be kidding me, man. These guys are getting looks and looks and looks. I mean, even though Luca, I thought Golden State did a great job on Luca. They really frustrated him. They sent some size to him. They sent different looks to him. I thought Wiggins did a pretty bang-up job on him, to be honest with you. And I don't think Wiggins is a guy that anybody thinks of all NBA defensive team honors. But, man – the game he played last night, I thought he really frustrated Luka Doncic a lot in the game last night. But nobody around him could make a basket. It was like, it was almost sad to watch the open looks they were getting. And you're thinking to yourself, hey, Charles Barkley said it at a halftime last night. You know, Barkley said, he actually said, I think if I remember correctly, that they would win the game. He thought that the Mavericks were going to win the game last night. Because they were only down 10 at the half, and they had shot so poorly in the game that there was no way they can keep shooting that poorly. To which they did. <laughs> they were uh, 22% from the field last, from three-point range last night. Uh, simply not going to get it done. And Luka did not have a great game. 20 points for Luka. It's nice to say, hey, that's not a good game, but when you are in the conference finals and you are the star of stars and you don't have a lot of help. Like, you could say, well, Curry only scored 21. Yeah, well, Wiggins had 19. Clay had 15. They had seven guys, I think. or six guys. Seven guys in double figures for the Warriors last night. And I think you saw a little different level of composure from a championship team in the Warriors. I thought in the third quarter, Dallas looked frustrated. Dallas looked like you know, the kid who's used to making shots and getting his way and just being the best player on the court and that game when he kind of struggles and he doesn't know how to handle adversity. I felt that look like Dallas last night, like they just didn't know how to kind of handle the fact that they weren't shooting the ball well. and They were frustrated. It didn't help, you know. Steph's down the other end making one-footers, falling backwards, and then he makes the shot, and he's getting into it with the crowd. He's a joy to watch sometimes, Steph Curry. You forget, like, this is still um, a guy, I mean, he's getting older, Steph Curry. He's crossing over the 30-year-old mark and getting into that area where how much more of Steph at this level are we going to see And it was kind of fun to watch him playing it up, like, you know, making the shot, getting into it. You know, I enjoyed watching the game last night because, you know, I try to watch these games. You know, and you watch Dallas, and I feel like Dallas is similar to Philadelphia in this regard. They have one player who's really, really, really good. And then I would say that James Harden is better than Jalen Brunson is. I mean, I think that's... You laugh, but, I mean, look, Brunson's played outstanding. Harden has not been great, but I think it's, you know, to be fair to to Harden, he's been one of the best 75 players of all time. Um, but he's not the same player, okay? And, you know, you've got other guys on that team. I don't know. I mean, who else on that team? You would take Maxie over everybody else on that team, right?
2: Um. I don't know if I would... I, feel uh, like, I
1: like Dinwiddie. I do like Dinwiddie.
2: I would I would say that you're taking Harden over Dinwiddie. To me, Maxie and Brunson are kind of a coin flip because of the fact that they, they do different things, but what they do, they do really well. Mm-hmm. I think Brunson is the better... like He's the better all-around player, but I think Maxie's the better scorer. Yeah,
1: I mean, as like... That level of player, that secondary guy, Harden yeah. would be the next best player. Even though you're not happy with Harden, he's Correct. still the second guy. It's Embiid and Luca. They would be the captains of the team, but they mm-hmm. were doing the draft here. Right. They would still draft Harden next.
2: Right, he would be drafted next. I just.
1: So then, the third yeah. player would it be Maxie or Brunson, or Harris, not Harris. or Dinwiddie. I mean, I like Dinwiddie. I'm a a Dinwiddie fan.
2: The problem I have with Dinwiddie is, as you saw last night, when he's cold, he's cold. I mean, each.
1: Out of all the guys on that team, he shot better
2: than everybody else. Yeah, but it felt like he just didn't have a rhythm. He was making shots out of necessity, not out of rhythm. Uh, I really like Brunson's game. I think Brunson brings a great Well, he didn't bring it last night. His game was not there last night. But, you know, you've said it before, you can't judge a guy for one night. No, 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 no.
1: But I'm just saying... In general, like, I would say if Embiid and, and Luka are the captains of those two teams, the first pick would be Harden. The next pick would probably be... It's either
2: Maxi or Brunson.
1: One of those two, and then Harris.
2: I would probably take Dinwiddie over Harris. Wow, okay. Because I, I think what Dinwiddie does is, I feel like Dinwiddie doesn't run out of energy. Like, he's still out there... Well, like, they got
1: a lot of guys on that team that don't... Like, Finney Smith just doesn't run out of energy. Yeah, that guy's a nut job. See, that offensive foul they called on him it was horrible. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, absolutely I, I, I horrible. enjoyed the
2: offensive. It family. was absolutely
1: horrible. He was working his ass off. He gets the rebound, puts it back up, misses the putback, gets his rebound, he puts it back job. up, and somehow they caught a foul on him. I was like, this guy's working his ass off. He gets a foul called on him. Um, but, I mean, the point, like, Dallas is, like, in a similar situation to Philadelphia where they have one guy, and if he doesn't score 35, right. they're in trouble. Why? Because they're so reliant. They shot 48 three-pointers last night. Like, when we think of the Warriors, you think of what? A team that shoots basically three-pointers all night long. Right. Well, they got outshot by 22 threes last night or something like that. It was it was a 48 to 29, 18 threes last, 17 threes last night. I mean, come on. Dallas just could not make a shot last night. So this is the way of, and I hate it. Like, I'm not a big, big fan of the style of NBA game. And Barkley said it last night. I think Monna McNutt was saying it today on KJM. And they basically said, look, whoever makes more threes is going to win these games.
2: Yeah, and it's a very simple equation. You know, we pointed out the Sixers series. They were 5-1 in this postseason when they shot at least 40% from three. That's all you need to know. It's a, it's a make-or-miss league, whether we like it or not.
1: Well, honestly, I got to kind of look at that and say, well, Dallas made 11 threes and Golden State only made 10. <laughs> but they shot a much higher efficient percentage because they made 46 twos.
2: Well, you mentioned earlier also Dallas Dallas was facing a defensive gauntlet, basically. The Warriors came out really brought it to them defensively.
1: Yeah, well, I'll tell you what. Game one, check, Golden State, what's the adjustment? Well, you could say, is the adjustment just make more shots? That's the big thing. Do you just lean on the fact that you didn't shoot well? And I always wonder, like, if you are Jason Kidd and that staff, and they're talking this over, they're watching that tape. Mm -hmm. We heard Doc Rivers say this a lot during the Sixers run. We got good shots. We'll take the shots that we got. We just didn't make them. Well, was that the case with Jason Kidd last night? Is he watching that game saying, "Hey, shoot those shots. If you get those shots again, take them."
2: Yeah. It's very possible that if you know, if you're the Mavericks, you say, "Look, we didn't lose because we're a bad team. We lost because we didn't make our shots." You know, maybe the theory is, "Look, we just keep doing what we're doing, and maybe the shots will eventually fall."
1: Well, that was an ugly performance offensively by the Dallas Mavericks last night. It was. But it does beg the question. What do you take from the margin of victory in a loss? Like as a fan, your team loses by 20, 25 points, 30. What was the Sixers score they lost by that everybody was up in arms and only ended up losing that series? But they, but people, I feel like the vigor comes out way stronger when the margin of victory is bigger.
2: It is because people people have a perception of a final score half the time because half of them didn't watch the game and the other half of them maybe watch the game through rose colored glasses. Mm-hmm. You know, not all losses are equal. You know when you watch a game like last night you realize that the better team won. Last night. It wasn't that the Mavs are a, a bad team, but for one night the Warriors outplayed them. It doesn't mean the Mavs can't come back and win game two and this series goes seven games, but we've seen many times in sports that sometimes you can lose big because you just had a bad night at the office.
1: Well, I go back to the statistic I heard today. It's not really a statistic, just the fact that they've lost by 25 or more three times in these playoffs. And I think that says, you know, hey, and then the retort from somebody might be, well, they're not going to win the championship. And that rolls me into my next conversation that came up today, which was I put out an innocent little tweet just kind of stating, you know, I like to tweet things out of things that I want to remember that I might want to bring up while I'm on the radio. I have a job that I might want to talk about these things at a later point in time. Sure, that's normal. So I said when the Eagles lost to Tampa Bay, ending their season, Hassan Reddick, AJ Brown, James Bradbury, Zach Pascal, Jordan Davis, Nakobe Dean, Kazir White, Brandon Graham were not on the field. They won games eight, nine games without these guys. I think that was just a more of a statement of like, hey, they they've really had a good off season, right? Right. So somebody responded to that tweet. And said the roster is a lot better now. The issue is now how much better has the quarterback gotten? They're going to go as far as Hertz takes him. Now we did address that yesterday. In that look, I think the Eagles are taking the approach that Hertz is our guy. People like playing for him. The team wants to play for him. We're going to build around him. Right. I do agree that Hertz needs to take a step in the in the right direction. He can't go backwards. He can't stay the same. And if he takes a small step, do they go from 9 wins to 10? If he takes a medium step, do they go from 9 to 11 and win a playoff game? And if he makes a huge step, can they win the Super Bowl? I guess those are the the tiers of questions,
2: right? Right. And And we live in a world where it's safe to assume that most players, when they're in his age range, are going to get better in sequential years moving forward. It's a... It's a safe assumption. Well, sure.
1: I mean, it's totally fair what that tweet says. is doesn't matter what happens if Hurts stays the same or doesn't take a step forward. I agree. That's totally fair. And I think the Eagles are taking the guys like playing for him approach. Let's yep. beef up the town around him. Okay. To which somebody responded to that and said, when does the same apply to the Eagles as the Sixers getting out of the second round? Are they good enough to win a playoff game, not just make the playoffs? Who cares? All right. This is the big part. Who cares if they win nine or 10 if they lose in the wild card game? To which I responded, hence the process was bored. You know, that's the mentality of the fan. You know, when we were growing up, it used to be you win nine, 10 games, you made the playoffs, whether you won or lost, you made the playoffs. That season was deemed somewhat of a success. Yes, you didn't hit the ultimate goal. But making the playoffs meant something. Yes. Being a playoff team meant something. Somewhere along the line, that got out of whack, into which I said, hence the process was born. Well, what does that mean? That text uh, tweet just said it. Who cares if they win 9 or 10 if they lose the wild card game? The Sixers side of things, who cares if they win 44 games if they lose in the first or second round? Right? Right? It's fine to be disappointed. The Eagles won four games two seasons ago. To make the playoff the very next season, isn't that a positive step? This year, winning a playoff game should be the goal. And look, they won the Super Bowl five years ago. Can we relax a little bit on demanding that the team wins a Super Bowl or the season is a failure? Is it irrational for me to say, that my God, I don't have expectations to win the Super Bowl. Like I don't demand a Super Bowl victory.
2: No, it's not irrational because of the fact that there's there's something that gets overlooked in some of these conversations, and one of them is comparing different sports is not a it's not an even comparison. It's not apples to apples. Okay, half more than half the NBA makes the postseason now, so when we judge you all for the playoffs in the NBA. It's a, look, more than half the league is getting in because it's play-in tournament. And then when you get into the first, second round, and the finals, you have seven games to win your series. In football, less than half the league makes the postseason. It's a one-off. If you have a bad game, if someone's injured, you know, what if Carson Wentz didn't get smashed in the head by Jadavion Clowney in the Seahawks game? How different is that game play out? We'll never know. But guess what? It still goes down as a loss. There's so many variables that can impact a team in a postseason run in the NFL. Whereas basketball, the reason why we hold you and say you got to get out of the second round is you have a superstar player who is second in the MVP consecutive years. And we already know that making the postseason is kind of a whatever in basketball. Whereas football, it's hey, my team made the playoffs.
1: Should we like, though, that sports has gotten to a place? Where a fan says if you win 10 games and make the playoffs, who cares?
2: I don't like that at all. I I think that fan is either... First of all, I don't even know if they're an Eagles fan if they're saying that. Second of all, I think that we live in a society where we don't appreciate what we have. The grass is always green on the other side of the fence. You give a guy a million dollars, he tells you the bag is too heavy. I was saying this the other day. We don't appreciate how great Bryce Harper is. You know, I listen to... The people who are, you know, you know, talking on different shows, right? And on the national level, people are like, Bryce Harper's amazing. Is this guy better than he was uh, his MVP season? But locally, if you read our text board, you see Frank Close's mailbag, it's the manager stinks. Nobody's appreciating Harper, you know? So it's like, I don't like the fact that the fan is literally just such a negative. You know, no matter what you give me it sucks.
1: Yeah, what where did this all happen? Where did it go to where hey, the Sixers got to a boiling point. It wasn't them who made this decision. It was you. The fans pushed the Sixers to the process. Why? Because they had a team that was winning games. They were making the playoffs. They won 42 games and 41 games and 39 games. And they made the playoffs. And nobody cared. But that wasn't good enough for you.
2: It was apathy. It was the fact that they were in a city where the Phillies were at the the time making the playoffs and going to the World Series and winning the World Series. A a city where the Eagles were getting to the conference finals. A city where the Flyers went to a Stanley Cup run. And then the Sixers are in the background and everyone's like, well, bleep them.
1: Well, it's fair to say, well, that team isn't performing at the level that these other teams are but the point being they were making the playoffs and you were saying just making the playoffs it's not good wasn't good enough for me so to go back to the point that that tweet made was when does the same apply to the eagles that just making the playoffs and winning the game is not good enough well to which i would say look they won four freaking games the year before if you go from four to nine, I don't know. I mean, was I supposed to be disappointed that they got knocked out in the wild card? Yes, I'm disappointed. It's fine to be disappointed. But the expectation shouldn't have been the Eagles won four games one year. They were going to win 12 games the next year and then go on some deep playoff run. Like, if that was your expectation going into the season, I feel like you're irrational. Now, Somebody else chimed in and said, I disagree with that last statement, the one where I said they did win the Super Bowl five years ago. And he says, I disagree with that statement. Fans should want them to win it every year. I'm not satisfied with seeing this team win one Super Bowl. I'm not a Cowboys fan who hangs their stereo cowboy hat on five rings. The last That over half the league doesn't even remember. Well, I agree that you should want to win the Super Bowl every year, this year included. I enter this season saying, I want the Eagles to win the Super Bowl. If I don't say that, I mean, that's ridiculous. You know what? I really don't want the Eagles to win the Super Bowl. Who would say that? Of course, you and every fan out there want to win the Super Bowl. I'm just also saying, let's understand that it's a bit irrational to expect to win the Super Bowl
2: right expectations are different than hopes and dreams and desires
1: right to which the response was I don't think it's irrational to expect so I should expect someone to walk through this door right now and hand me a million dollars should I I expect that because that's what you're saying is you are expecting the ultimate goal every single year that by definition is irrational You can't expect the the cream of the crop every season. It's just irrational to think that way. And he says you get used to a high standard real quick when the team you root for wins. You see it with certain fan bases, the passionate ones. I don't know what that means because guess what? Find me an NFL team or any sport really other than the Brady Patriots that win a championship once every five seasons, within a five year. I mean, if it's happened a lot, then yes, the Eagles are not living up to your expectations and you should be mad. But if you can go around sports and say, well, this team's won three and five and they've won three and five and they've won. What are there, two teams in 20 years that won two championships in a 20 in a year window, in a five year window? I mean, that's hardly
2: the rule. But that's also unique circumstances because the Giants upset one of the supposed to be one of the best teams of all time. They were undefeated. And the second time the Giants won, they had the same quarterback and the same core defensive coordinator and the same head coach and the same everything. Most NFL teams have turnover at the head coaching and the quarterback positions like the Eagles. The Eagles are on their third starting quarterback since 2016, their second head coach. Since twenty sixteen. And you're expecting there to be
1: Well that, a, a, yeah, but you're, a regular you're, sense of success. Yeah, but you are kind of playing into what like they're saying they get a lot of these things wrong, and that's part of the reason why they're not having the success. So you're playing right into what they're saying is they're not good enough. They keep changing the coach because the coach they hire, he's not good enough. The coach, the quarterback that they pick, he's not good enough. We should always be drafting someone where we're good enough. We should always have people in place where we're good enough. Fine, and they- you should expect to be good enough to win the Super Bowl every single year. And if you don't expect that, then apparently your team is a failure.
2: Fine. Hand in your Eagles fan card and go cheer for another team then. Well, they don't want to do that. Well, then stop complaining about something that's irrational.
1: Well, that's the point I'm making, is the people I think are being irrational. No, they're telling me I'm being irrational, that you should expect to win the Super Bowl every single year.
2: You know what I expect? I expect better from people who are supposed to be responsible adults. You know, we live in a society now where everybody treats everything like a movie trailer. They see a movie trailer, they think the movie is going to be the greatest thing of all time. They go see the movie, and when the movie isn't an Oscar-nominated greatest of all time movie. It sucks. No, it just didn't. It wasn't a five-star movie. It happened to be a four-star movie. Your expectations ruined your ability to enjoy something. Hey, guess what? Buddy Ryan had zero Playoff wins. That Eagles team won nada. But we love them. They were great. So, what's the difference? What's the difference that makes Buddy Ryan beloved? And he's a know nothing guy who people love, didn't win the postseason. What's the difference?
1: I've said on this program many a years Buddy Ryan, it was personality over performance. Most Eagles fans prefer personality. Can I relate to that guy more than performance? Buddy Ryan over Andy Reid. Anybody over Howie Roseman. Personality over actual performance. Roseman wins the Super Bowl. You want the football guy. Reid, one of the best coaches of all time. You want Buddy Ryan because he got on the microphone and said that he wanted to punch Jimmy Johnson in the face. Fans prefer personality over performance in this town. I think that's what we're heading towards. And all of these tweets today, which I appreciate, by the way. Thanks for being a part of the show. But I think he's telling me I'm irrational. That I think it's irrational that you should expect to win a Super Bowl every single year. I think... I think what you're really asking as a fan should be this. And I'll tell you what it is coming up next here on the Sports Bash. And if your answer to this is no, well, then your franchise maybe has a problem. That's next. This is the Sports Bash. Now, back to the ESPN. All right, 231 Sports Bash live, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. I think the question you need to ask if you're a fan of any team, all right, is it fair to want to win the championship every year? That is fair. I will never say that's irrational. Never. You should enter every season. The Baltimore freaking Orioles should enter the season saying, we want to win the World Series. Now, to go into the season as a Baltimore Oriole fan expecting to win the World Series, I think is a bit irrational, okay? There's where my line of demarcation is. I think Oriole fans should want to win the, the World Series. I think expecting to, that is where you become a little bit irrational, all right? So we set the boundaries here. Very fair. Okay. Here's the question I think you need to ask as a sports fan of any team. Sixers, Flyers, Phillies, Eagles, Giants, Mets, Dodgers, Padres, whoever you're a fan of. All right? I think it holds up if you're asking the question of of whether you're being irrational. Okay? The question you need to ask yourself as a fan You could be disappointed. You could be frustrated with your team. But the question you need to ask yourself is, has my franchise prioritized winning? I think expecting to win every five years is a bit irrational. But well within each fan's right if they are prioritizing winning. The Baltimore Orioles aren't prioritizing winning. So it's irrational to expect success. Are the Phillies prioritizing winning? I think that's a fair question. Do we feel the Phillies prioritize winning? They spent a lot of money on Bryce Harper. They spent a lot of money on Kyle Schwarber. They spent a lot of money on Nick Castellanos. They spent a lot of money on JT Romuto. They spent a lot of money on Zach Wheeler. So have the Phillies prioritized winning?
2: I don't know if I can say yes because of the fact that I think that they want to win. I think that their desire of all signing these moves is to make it back to the postseason. But I think they also are not, they're not pushing all their chips to the middle of the table. Let's put it that way.
1: See, I think the Phillies have prioritized winning. Recently. I don't think they did for a span there. Okay. During the Matt Clintack era, let's say. Gotcha. I think they have now prioritized winning. Here's the difference. They have prioritized winning. That doesn't mean they're going to win. Right. And that's where I think the fans have to be... Have an open mind.
2: They have to be a little more aware of the environment and the situation. There's... There, at times, for some fans, there's a lack of self-awareness beyond the little bubble that they exist in as fans. They can't see beyond the little area that they've carved out for themselves.
1: So, have the Eagles prioritized winning? Yes. I Has think there ever been a time where we felt the Eagles have not prioritized winning in 20 years?
2: Not in the Jeffrey Lurie ownership era.
1: Right. So this is where I feel like even if they lose a playoff game, can you be disappointed? Yes. Can you be frustrated? Yes. But you can't sit here and say, you know, they didn't do everything possible to try to win. Now, not everything possible. I don't know. You might say, well, they could have signed this guy, this guy, this guy, and this guy. Well, at some points, you're becoming, you know, you're doing things reckless.
2: Right. You can't, you can't be the team... That just throws money at every problem, and then you sign some guy who doesn't even fit your team or doesn't want to be here, or whatever it may be. You know, part of the reason why you you had Terrell Owens fall into your lap all those years ago was because he didn't want to be in San Francisco, and the Baltimore situation fell apart, so he fell into your lap. Sometimes you got to get a little lucky.
1: No question. Do we think the Sixers have prioritized winning? Recently. I would say recently. As soon as recent. I think that's a fair answer. As recently as when?
2: As recently as Brian Colangelo usurped the the GM job.
1: See, and I would say they they started to prioritize winning in 2012. When the new ownership group got here, the first move they made was to go get Andrew Bynum. They prioritized winning just because it didn't work doesn't mean they didn't try. They tried to make a move that would help get them from a second-round exit to get further. So they got a player who had won a championship. The move didn't work, but they prioritized the opportunity to get that person. And when that didn't work... They took a radical approach to prioritize winning. They went so prioritizing of winning that they decided to basically hit the reset button because of fear of not being able to win unless they started over.
2: Yeah, see, now, but see, this is where you and I don't fully agree. This is where it's like mixing business and, and, and what's in the business and what's on the court. There was nothing about... What the rosters they put on the floor for those two and a half, three years that said our, our priority is winning.
1: No, not for that season. But I think the long-term big picture was we are prioritizing winning. And to get there, we need to basically start over. Because what we have, we're never going to be able to win. We're constantly going to be in a, a spot of we can't win. So, yes, they didn't prioritize winning in that season. Correct. But I think the ownership group prioritized winning in general. That's what it comes down to. Do you prioritize winning? Yes, Jeffrey Lurie prioritizes winning. That doesn't mean they're going to win every single year. Right. But everything they do, even in a down year, is predicated on how can we long-term be a long-term successful winner. You might lose one of those 10 years, but you lost in that year to try to figure out how I can be better for nine years instead of being good one, bad one, good two, bad three. They all, if you prioritize winning, it's about long-term success. It's about being good for a stretch of 10, 15, 20 years so that you have 10, 15, or 20 chances to win a championship.
2: Sure, but this also gets back to the other conversation we had a little earlier, which is you can't fully compare football to basketball because of the logistics of how to win in those sports. You could be a football team that makes the postseason for 10 straight years because... You have Aaron Rodgers, mm-hmm. for example.
1: Now, this uh, Terry and Galloway who texted yesterday and sparked a nice conversation. Welcome back, Terry. Uh, he says it's irrational to think every franchise in sports is trying to win. A thousand percent agree with that. Totally agree with that. I one well, thousand percent agree. The question you have to ask yourself is: Your team prioritizing winning? And the answer to that is: Some are, and some aren't. Not every team, Terry is prioritizing winning. Not right. every team prioritizes winning. The Oakland A's, I don't think they prioritize winning. And By the way. They're happy if they happen to win, not every but they team don't prioritize can. winning.
2: Not every team can either. Some teams are in a situation where they're not able to do certain things.
1: Well, then the fans would say, well, then that person shouldn't own the team.
2: Okay, well, um, have a, you, you buy the team. Well, I'm just saying, like, <laughs>
1: the retort to that is... It's, it's kind of my point, though, is it's easy you own to retort the team. It's easy to support these
2: things if you live in a bubble and you don't have no, the I don't self think awareness. No, so. I, I
1: don't think so because the fans get mad if the team does not prioritize winning. The fans Just also because, get
2: mad when the jersey is a certain color or when a player wears a certain number. I mean, people nah, getting mad about a
1: lot that. of things. I don't see the, the, the similarities there. I think they're saying fans want their team to prioritize winning. Not every, and that's got Terry and Galloway saying. I can't buy the team. So if I'm going to be a fan of the team, I want the person who owns the team to at least put an honest effort that they're trying to win. And I don't think that every team prioritizes winning. No, they don't. Now, someone like Terry yesterday, who texted in very nicely, said he thought the Sixers. See, you would say the Sixers weren't prioritized winning. I would look at it and say they were prioritizing winning because they weren't winning. And how do I try to win? Well, whatever I've done for the last 15 years hasn't worked, right? We've tried this. We've done that. They did this. They were winning 40 games. They went to the playoffs, and nobody cared. So how do I change that? I'm prioritizing how we can be a long-term winner. And right now, the Sixers are in the midst of of long-term success, They've been to the playoffs, what, five straight years? Yes. How many times in their history have they been to the playoffs five years in a
2: row? Not since the eighties. Jeez. So way, in a league where they're. No, they
1: did get to-, to their five straight years in Iverson's like second, third, fourth, fifth, like somewhere around there. Okay. But again, this is not a franchise in the last thirty seasons that has had a abundance of success. Correct. So the other example, he says, most of them only care about the bottom line. Look at the Flyers. Ed Snyder wanted to win. Current ownership only cares about making money. So we'll go to the Flyers. Are they prioritizing winning? I would say no. I would agree. I think the current Flyers ownership group is not prioritizing winning.
2: I think the current Flyers ownership group is more concerned about the, the, the number on the budget line, the number on the standings.
1: Yes. And that is where I think you can be irrational and be mad and be angry you know, because you support this team. You want this team to win. You expect success. You shouldn't expect the Stanley Cup every single season, but you should expect to be a contender.
2: You should be expected to be in the playoffs because in hockey, half the league makes the playoffs. Again, it's a. It's a- you have to realize the sport you're in. You know what I mean? If half of your sport's making the playoffs and you're one of the teams that doesn't make the playoffs, that's a sad state Unless of affairs. Unless you
1: blatantly choose to not make the playoffs. Well, that's just And I story. don't think that was the Flyers' objective.
2: No, they went out there making these moves like Ryan Ellis and Rasmussen and Ristolainen, to make the postseason. They made a
1: ton of moves this offseason indicating we don't want to not make the playoffs. We want to be a contender. Right. Like, now, can I say then, well, did they prioritize winning? Because they went out and made those moves. The moves just didn't work out.
2: I think the GM prioritized winning, but I think Well owners, he has to
1: get the okay from ownership.
2: Well I think the ownership, you know, told him to stay within a certain framework potentially. You know, for example, I don't think the flyers owners wanna go over the salary cap, for example. Um, you know, you we've heard for another example, John Middleton. Remember a few years ago he wanted to spend stupid money? Then the report came out that Dombrowski wanted to spend more money. That Middleton was like, ah, let's save some money to spend at the deadline, you know. we'll
1: uh, Read off more text messages. A bunch of them coming in. Keep them coming. 609-403-0973. 609-403-0973. If you're listening on the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app, you can message us through the phone, uh, the app on your phone. Terry goes on to say, Yankees want to win, Orioles don't. Celtics want titles, Sixers want fans in the stands. We disagree on that. Although they do want fans in the stands, I think they are also have made plenty of moves to indicate they want to win. They just haven't worked out.
2: Yeah, you don't hire Doc Rivers to just put butts in the
1: seats. You don't hire Daryl Morey, Doc Rivers, trade for Jimmy Butler, Tobias Harris, you know, they have done a ton of things to try to win. Terry, if you think all those moves were meant to just put butts in the stand, you, hide
2: the wrong you are a
1: warped mind, my friend. <laughs> like, we should have a beer sometime and talk about how you got to this place in your life. But I appreciate you texting in, pal. More Sports Bash on the way.
0: Now, back to more On 97.3
1: ESPN, South Jersey Sports Leader. 11 to the top of the hour. Cam Rogers is going to tell us about the PGA Championship. Tiger Woods is back. Rory was roaring to the lead in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And Rory leads, currently five under. So he's in the lead. Uh, Tiger was one under the last I saw. Did you uh, get a... Uh, he is four over par, 74. It was his uh, – he got off to a good start. I saw him birdie the first hole, then he right. parred, then I think he bogeyed. He was one under through eight. He ended up four over par, though, for Tiger Woods. Not not a great day. Now I would I imagine that's not, a, that's not a cut day.
2: Uh, by the way, I was going to ask, have you ever been to Tulsa, Oklahoma?
1: I've never been to Oklahoma. Oh, okay. Not once. I've been to ver- – I've visited many estates. Oklahoma's not one of them. Not even passing through, haven't done a layover, no airport changeover, nothing.
2: Yeah, Rory's at minus five. Zelatoris is at minus four. Yeah, well. Matt Kucher is over there at
1: minus three. I'm trying to think of, like, see, when I was at West Virginia, West Virginia was not in the Big 12. Right, you were in the Big East. They were in the Big East. So, like, if I was in West Virginia, there may have been a reason for me to go to Oklahoma like why I was in college, like to go mm-hmm. see them play. Right. But other than that, I have been to Texas, but Oklahoma, I have not been. I've been to Louisiana. These are the border. I've been to Arkansas. They are the bordering states of Oklahoma. So you've
2: been to everywhere but
1: Oklahoma. Well, I haven't been to Kansas, Colorado, New Mexico, or okay. Missouri. <laughs> I don't think I've been to Missouri. Have I been to St. Louis? No, I haven't been to St. Louis. Uh, Arkansas, right on the border of Missouri. So right there in the Ozarks, which, no, I have not watched yet.
2: What are you planning to watch that?
1: Uh, well, I did finish season four of Blacklist right. the other night, so I'll probably get to Ozark the next night. I have something not, when I don't have so, something to do.
2: So maybe this weekend.
1: Uh, don't think so. Well, okay. Todd Rank was supposed to come in studio tomorrow. He is not. His flight got changed. Oh, good grief. So he will not be here tomorrow, but he's going to do tomorrow's happy hour Friday and PT will do todd's Spot today at 5. Right. So Todd'll be on happy hour Friday, which he's probably more suited for? Probably. You know, PT's not the happy hour kind of guy anymore. He should be demoted to Thursday. Ooh. Yeah. Just take that up with both those guys. Although, see, the problem with getting Todd on happy hour Friday is that he's normally doing happy hour? Also, he might
2: already be at happy hour <laughs> so at, at that fi- time. Although
1: at five o'clock here, it's two o'clock
2: there, there. so he might not be happy hour yet. Yeah, but
1: don't you wouldn't? If I said happy hour, which guy do you associate happy hour? Todd,
2: with? of course.
1: So I That's think we an might, easy question. We might have to make that change.
2: That might be the easiest question you've ever asked.
1: me. Permanent change, PT. You are no longer a happy hour guy. Todd Rank is replacing you.
2: That might be the easiest question you've ever asked me. <laughs>
1: So looking through there, yeah, I have not been to Oklahoma. I've been to Texas, Arkansas, Louisiana, never Mississippi, never Alabama. I have been to Georgia. I have been to Tennessee. I have not been to South Carolina. I have been to Florida. I've been to North Carolina. I've never been to Kentucky.
2: Or any of these states you desire to maybe visit no.
1: one day? Oh uh, South Carolina. I, I, my girlfriend actually was in South Carolina this past weekend. Oh, yeah? She was at a wedding for a college, uh, maybe a high school friend. So she went to South Carolina. She flew to Charlotte, North Carolina, and then drove to the university, South Carolina. She came home with all this Gamecock stuff. Oh, really? Well, you know me. I'm the guy who will visit a college campus, and And I buy the shirt from wherever I go. So people always ask, like, I have such a wide variety of college T-shirts.
2: Oh, so you got got one of those... uh South Carolina polos now?
1: Well, she tried to find me one that she knows, like, how, you know, the style of polo that Mm -hmm. I like. Very bland, very basic, small logo. Yep. And she said there just wasn't one there that I would have liked. But Ah. she got me something different. Okay. But of all those states that I haven't been to, now, like, I wouldn't mind going to a game at, like, Old Miss. You
2: want to go to the Egg Bowl. That's what you want to do something like that. Yeah, the if Egg I'm going to go to Mississippi. Is insane.
1: Right, if I'm going to go to Mississippi or Alabama, it's going to be for a college football game. Like yeah. I have no other need to go to any of those states.
2: Like you want to go to like Alabama Auburn maybe, go to the Iron Bowl. I was in Arkansas and I don't need to go back. <laughs> <laughs> That's so that would be my that would be my full report. Like you would like you would want to go to Kentucky for the Derby, for example.
1: Yes, I'd go to Kentucky for the in fact my girlfriend wants to it's one of the things she wants to do. Ooh, she wants to list. the Derby. Yeah, she's a huge derby fan. You know what's funny? The guy Larry Colmas who does the play-by-play for the Derby. Okay. So he does I said to my You know, ever notice how all the horse racing play-by-play guys, they all sound like the, exactly the same. Yes. Like they all sound the same. Like how do you get that voice? Like, how does that get ingrained to all horse racing guys?
2: Maybe they're born in a certain part of
1: the country. He's from Baltimore, Maryland. I looked it up today. And there was a race that he did, apparently, at Monmouth Park that he's famous for, where, like, the one horse, uh, let me see if I can get it real fast. I'm not going to bring up the call. I won't be able to get that very fast. But I can get the names of the horses. Okay. I think by the time the, the, uh, what the hell's the guy's name? Larry Holmes. Oh, there he is. Larry Coleman. So he's calling the seventh race at Monmouth Park. Okay. And the one horse was named, my wife knows everything. <laughs> and the other horse was, the wife doesn't know. And, of course, they were the two horses, in the neck and neck. And he says, <laughs> my wife knows everything. The wife doesn't know. They're one and two. Of course they are. My wife knows everything in front to the outside. The wife doesn't know. My wife knows everything. My wife knows everything. The wife doesn't know. That's how he called the race. That's
0: great. Sports is what house you are, wherever you are. You're a sports fan. 97.3 ESPN. Because if you weren't a sports fan, you wouldn't be listening. WENJ. WENJ HD Millville, Atlantic City. A town square media station serving all of South Jersey. This is The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios. Here's
1: Mike Gill. <laughs> All right, 3 o'clock, Sports Bash. Cam Rogers will talk a little PGA with us coming up in a couple of minutes. So I got the audio of Larry Colmus, who is the uh, voice of the Kentucky Derby. He'll be on the Preakness this weekend. So he's done horse racing events all over the place, you know, whatever the big horse race is. Saratoga, Monmouth Park, wherever a big horse race is, this guy's one of the voices. I feel like all the horse racing guys, though, sound the same. They all have, like, the same inflection and style. Yes.
2: They sound like an auctioneer. I was going to say, they sound like a, like a, an auctioneer found a different career field.
1: Yeah, like an auctioneer wasn't good enough to be an auctioneer, so they're like, hey, why don't you try horse racing, uh, announcer?
2: Or, or maybe he was an auctioneer and horse racing paid more.
1: Possible, but uh, they sound very auctioneerist, let's say that. So it's amazing to me. Like, I didn't know Larry Colmes by name, and but you knew his voice. are there other guys who have done the Derby in recent years? Or is he like the guy every year? Because the guys who have ever done in the past, they sound just like this guy. So this is Larry Colma. So this is the seventh race at Mammoth Park back in 2010. Okay. So listen to the names of the horses that are battling it out for the top position in this random race at Mammoth Park. Lady Mutata, my wife knows everything. Center of the track, the wife doesn't know. Into the final furlong, my wife knows everything. The wife doesn't know. They're one, two. Of course they are. My wife knows everything in front. To the outside, the wife doesn't know. My wife knows everything. The wife doesn't know. My wife knows everything. More than the wife doesn't know. (laughs) This Tallahassee was third. Oh and man. Side Heights was fourth. So the one horse was my wife knows everything, and the other horse was my wife doesn't know.
2: And they were neck and neck.
1: So they're the two horses coming down. How the hell do they two horses end up in the same race?
2: That's a beautiful thing, though.
1: Right? I mean, the one horse is my wife knows everything, and the other one is my wife doesn't know. I mean, unbelievable. So that's the guy who calls the derby. He's calling some schmuck race over at uh, Monmouth Park, I guess. And the horses in the race are my wife knows everything. And the other horses, <laughs> my wife doesn't know. Uh, priceless stuff. All right. Let's uh, take a look at some of the action. Uh, so I don't know how we got to the conversation about the horse track. Somehow in Oklahoma. Oh, they're playing golf in Oklahoma. Right. In Tulsa. You asked me if I had ever been to Oklahoma. Oklahoma. I said no. Right. And I'd have no reason to go to any of these places. You said a Kentucky Derby. We started talking about Larry Colmas who called that race. Right. And that brings us all the way back to Tulsa, Oklahoma, where the PGA championship is. And that's where Cam Rogers will help us out from the Believe Podcast Network at Mr. Rogers 99 on Twitter. And we are off to a, um, interesting start today at the PGA. Cam, what's going on?
3: what's up mike always great to be with you here for a major championship interesting indeed as you said i will say my projected winner is in first place i was we stand right now. so
1: let's start with uh rory who has gotten off to a pretty good start on the day minus five and uh how uh what what did you like about him coming in and uh, are you seeing what you thought you'd see that could make him hold on to this
3: Yeah, absolutely. So a couple of things. Let's start with what I saw going into this week. He was third in this field in strokes gained total over the last 24 rounds, sixth off the tee, coming off a top five finish at the Wells Fargo Championship, really difficult golf course there in TPC Potomac, runner up at the Masters. We know he's a two-time PGA champion. So the resume was there. The recent form, was there the around the green game? Top 15 in this field. You would not expect that from Rory McElroy. And I was projecting this tournament to be somewhat of a scramble fest because you have these weird runoffs with these greens. And so I was thinking everybody was going to miss a good amount of greens here this week, especially factoring in the wind. Rory can lean on that wedge game. Now, what we saw today, the putter was the difference gaining over three strokes against the field with his putter 66% in terms of greens and regulation, which is about on par with his iron game right now, but driving accuracy was fantastic over 370 yards off the tee in terms of driving distance average. So that's fantastic as well. That's exactly what you want from Rory driving distance, hitting fairways, and then having a hot putter hot around the green game here this week. And the big bugaboo with him, Mike obviously was the slow starts, you know, even par one over at these major championships on Thursday and Friday. Then he turns it on. He gets a backdoor top 10 on a Sunday. Now he's in position. Now he is in command of his game. I think, and, I don't think he's going away anytime soon this week. All
1: right. Well, if you look at the leaderboard, Cam, in the top 10, I mean, there's a whole lot of guys that may not be very recognizable to the average listener out there. So of this group, who has staying power?
3: I think Will Zalatoris certainly does. He's a guy who hits a million greens. His iron game is fantastic. He's a wiry guy, but he hits it pretty far off the tee and we're talking about a guy who has played well at major championships before even though he's barely a rookie uh you could say a a second year player if you will so he's a young guy and yet still shows he can rise to the occasion on the major stage matt kuchar is an interesting one mike he's performed well at majors before he's been runner-up at the open championship for instance played well at the pga in recent years he's a short game magician he's older But this is a par 70, so it's not too daunting for him here this week. I like his chances to sort of float around here. I liked him for a top 20 going into this week. And then, of course, Xander Shockley there at two under par. Mr. Major Championship, if you will. Always showing up on the big stage. Fantastic driver of the golf ball. Fired a 61 last Sunday at the Byron Nelson. So I figured he would bring that momentum here this week. He certainly has. So keep an eye on those guys. Of course, Cam Smith picking up where he left off at the masters to under par t6 as we stand
1: um obviously uh tiger got off to an interesting start it looked like he looked healthier in this let's start there the difference between him walking the course today and the masters did you see a, a difference there
3: I did. You're absolutely right. He looked a lot better here today as compared to Augusta National. And really, that's the victory, in my opinion. Yes, he's four over par, T95. I don't know if he's going to make the cut, but the sheer fact that he looked a lot better than he did at Augusta National is a victory for sure. And this golf course is flatter. They do call it Southern Hills, so it's not exactly flat, but it is flatter, relatively speaking, to Augusta National. So if he were to make the cut, I think he'll feel a lot better on Monday morning as compared to the Masters. But, yeah, he looks great out there.
1: Um, So what have you seen from his game so far? He came out, you know, birdies the first hole. All right, here we go. And then uh, after that, a a bunch of up, down, and now he's four over to the point where, as you mentioned, there's a good possibility we don't see Tiger this weekend.
3: Yeah, I was telling everybody earlier this week, Mike, during my little tour, if you will, I think he's probably not going to make the cut. If I were to put any finances on Tiger Woods, it would be for him to miss the cut. I was not putting any money down on outrights or top 20s or anything along those lines. And here we are, four over par, and really the approach game was not there. 38% in terms of greens and regulation percentage, that's not going to get it done here at Southern Hills unless you're an absolute magician with your wedges, which he wasn't today. He showed some struggles with his distance control, his wedges. So, you know, that's something that I'm looking at going into tomorrow. He was just okay with the putter. Pretty good hitting fairways, but you can hit fairways all the time and shoot over par pretty easily if you are, you know, just bleeding strokes with your approach game. And that was the case here today. I have not seen or watched a press conference from him yet. I'm curious to see what he thinks about his round here today, but, Listen, PGA championships in general, Mike, are going to be really difficult for Tiger Woods just because of the length of the golf course. He's not 28 years old anymore, and sometimes you have thick, luscious rough, certainly at a U.S. Open. I like his chances better at a Masters or an Open championship, and that's why I was pretty low on him. I want rooting for the guy, obviously, but... That's why I was low on him going into this week.
1: All right. Now, of some of the guys who are outside that top ten right now, any encouraging things from them that you're keeping your eye on that can maybe uh, vault themselves into contention this weekend?
3: Keep an eye on Tony Finau. Uh, He's somebody that I've been tracking for quite some time here, Mike. The last couple of weeks, uh, he's starting to find his game. The approach game is there. He's a bomber off the tee, can get hot with the putter. One under par score today is totally fine. T-14 as we stand right now. So Tony now is a guy, by the way, who has popped at virtually every major championship. He is a major championship type of golfer. So he's sort of in that lurking territory there. At one under par by the way i think that five underscore for rory is going to hold mike i don't think anybody's firing a 64 or a 63 here Do in that. the afternoon wave so keep that in mind as well how about stewart sink he was sort of my dart throw to perhaps surprise everybody 250 to one something along those lines going into this week and there he is at one under par t14 i know his swing coach very well we're on a texting basis Always good vibes from him about Stuart Sink, two-time winner on the PGA Tour last year as well. So... Played pretty well at the 2001 U.S. Open at this golf course. It's a million years ago, but still, he has those good vibes. So keep an eye on Stewart as well. All
1: right, Cam Rogers is with us, the National Betting and Golf Analyst uh, for the Believe Podcast Network. we got the PGA going on right now. Big name in front, Rory. A lot of uh, guys who are a little bit more unknown behind them. You just heard a couple of names there. Uh, What about this course? Tell the people, because this is not one of those standout places that people uh, look forward to or or, are very known, um, you know, About. So, what are some of the quirks or some of the things about this course that will make it an interesting weekend?
3: Yeah, it's no Pebble Beach. It's no Pinehurst number two, no Augusta National, obviously, but it is an interesting track. There's no doubt about it. This has hosted, by the way, seven major championships in all. It actually holds the record for hosting the most PGA championships. So, credit to Southern Hills, credit to Gil Hans, who actually put through a renovation on this golf course back in 2019. And basically what happened was we have wider fairways. We have these very difficult greens with these crazy runoffs that I alluded to, which is probably why we're going to get that scramble fest here this week with everybody missing greens with this unpredictable wind. And to a degree, it's unfair. So keep an eye on that as we go throughout the week. You could see some frustrated golfers with their approach shots. But I think this is going to be a bomber's paradise for the most part, even though it's a par 70. It's over 7,500 yards. I mean, this is a long golf course. A lot of uneven lies, by the way, with your approach shots, too. So it's better to have a wedge in your hand and then, say, a five iron or a six iron. So it's going to be a difficult track. I think, you know, Rory McIlroy's round today is pretty impressive. But I think the winning score is going to be around 9, 10 under par. This is not going to be a birdie fest, 15 under, 17 under, something along those lines. By the way, the last time we saw this course on the PGA Tour was 2007. Much different golf course then, of course, before this renovation. It was more of a U.S. Open style, thick, luscious, rough, narrow fairways. Not the case this week. Expect a lot of drivers out of the bags for guys.
1: All right, Cam. Uh, obviously, you said uh, your pick to win was Rory, that this would be his, what, fifth if he wins this? Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, that would be a pretty big victory for him. Um now you're obviously not going to change your pick there <laughs> but if somebody can upset him and kind of take overtake him who's that guy this weekend
3: yeah usually it's like all right cam you can pick again now who is your new pick after Well, normally this guy is normally two we ter-
1: normally we're talking to you before the the event <laughs> yeah. has happened now we're actually uh, are in the midst of the first round here so now you're looking really good
3: Yeah, absolutely. So, hey, I'll go to Xander Shoffley. He was inside my top five in terms of the power rankings here this week. He's right there at two under par. Again, 61 last Sunday at the Byron Nelson. So he's feeling really, really good right now. Again, great driver of the golf ball, can make a million birdies and bunches. Keep an eye on him. He is a steady guy. He's not somebody who just falls off the top of the leaderboard on a Saturday or a Friday. So he will be hanging around Xander Shoffley until Sunday, in my opinion. All
1: right. um, Let me get your thoughts on this whole mickelson thing and mm. his future and where he's going i mean i i compared it the other day this is like boogie nights and he's dirk diggler like he was living the life of riley and then all of a sudden it got dark and dreary for this guy where where what is happening here
3: it's truly an incredible situation bizarre surreal are the terms that i have been throwing around about phil mickelson i mean what's more surprising phil mickelson winning the PGA Championship at the age of 50 on the longest golf course in PGA Tour history and major championship history, or not showing up the next year to defend that title. I mean, it's just a crazy situation for him right now. And so here is my conjecture, all right? I don't have any inside information, but we're going to have an answer from Phil in a month's time. Either he's going to play in this first Saudi-backed golf event, which will be June 9th, outside of London, or he's going to play the U.S. Open and try to complete that career Grand Slam again in a month's time, the week after that first Live Golf event, by the way. So I don't know what his end goal is. It sure as heck seems to me that he doesn't want to play on the PGA Tour and he doesn't want to sort of kiss the ring, if you will, of Jay Monaghan. At least that's how he sees it. And I think a lot of players out there sort of in unison, they think that Phil thinks he's bigger than the game of golf, and he's not. And so, you know, he needs to do some soul-searching. Clearly, he's doing a lot of it right now, huddling up with his PR team, if you will, skipping out on defending his major championship title. It's a really crazy situation. Again, we'll have our answer soon. He's either going to play in this first Live Golf event or play the U.S. Open. Heck, it could be both, because I want to make sure this is really known by all your listeners here. The U.S. Open is not run and governed by the PGA Tour. It's governed by the USGA. So if Phil plays this Live Golf event, Get suspended by the PGA Tour, he could still, in theory, play the U.S. Open because it's not run by the PGA Tour. Did you follow all that? (laughs) Yes,
1: I got – what a wild story. Yes, and you broke it down pretty good. So he withdraws after being the defending champion. We got Mm -hmm. Tiger back uh, looking for his 16th. And then, of course, outside storyline, Jordan Spieth looking for the career Grand Slam. How's uh, that looking uh, with his start?
3: Yeah, you know, kind of a rough start here for Jordan Spieth. I think the number was, what, two over, three over par, two over par here today, 72, which is not what you want from Jordan Spieth. And the big thing with him, again, he was inside my top 10 in terms of the power rankings. But that mental hurdle of getting over that hump, trying to win that career Grand Slam. We've seen Rory McIlroy try so many times at the Masters. He's been close before. He was just runner-up, of course. And with Spieth, I mean, he nearly won last Sunday to make it back-to-back events. I thought he had a really good chance this week. The ball striking is fantastic. He hit a million greens today. His greens and regulation percentage, 72%, pretty darn good. He lost nearly two strokes putting. He's got to figure out that flat stick tomorrow. Otherwise, he could be slamming his trunk on Friday afternoon.
1: You know, I played last Monday at the LPGA Media Day, and my flat stick was working pretty good. And I chipped from about 25 yards, bounce on the green, right in the cup. Love to hear it. That's awesome. And that's I all... hope
3: that carries over to me because my game is a mess right now.
1: <laughs> that's right. That's how uh, it's a scramble. They used the you know, half the, the, my shots were actually I said I went from being bleeping awful to just awful. Like that's <laughs> I've improved from from there to there. So uh, by it's the way, relative. the uh, the ShopRite LPGA will be here in a couple of weeks. So we're looking forward to that. You got the PGA championship going on and uh, cam rogers from the believe podcast network he's the host of the lock it in so do you have other than the winner do you have a couple of uh bets you want to throw for our listeners who want to make a couple bucks out there
3: yeah absolutely so if you can do some live betting in terms of the top 20s out there i would go ahead and hammer matt Kucher. he was my pick going into this week for a top te- our top 20 so i think that makes a lot of sense to me you know, somebody like a Seamus Power, who's T23, even through three right now, really steady player, doesn't have a weakness in his game. Keep an eye on him. I think he would make some sense for a top 20. Uh, and then, you know, sort of going down the board here, if you can make some live bets in terms of making the cut, Brooks Kepka is two over through three. I think he's going to make the cut at a PGA championship, a tournament that he has won two times. You could get some pretty good value there, two over par through three, Brooks Kepka to make the cut. A All few right. plays right there.
1: There you go. A couple stuff from Cam Rogers. You can go check out his podcast, Lock It In, on the Believe Podcast Network. You, the uh, national betting and golf analyst for Believe. And, of course, uh, the PGA will have the final round coverage on Sunday, and uh, we'll have uh, the coverage on Saturday starting at right around 4 o'clock here on 97.3 ESPN. All right, Cam. Good to see you, bud. Thanks, Mike. Take care. All right. Uh, Cam Rogers right there from the Believe Podcast Network giving us the lowdown on the opening round of the PGA, which uh, so far, Rory McIlroy, it's been a good start for him, but he's only one shot up. And he got a bunch of guys behind him, uh, four under, three under, two under, so you're going all the way back to a tie for. It tw- looks like the 12 golfers are within three strokes of the lead on Rory McIlroy. All right, Sports Bash is live here on 97.3 ESPN. I'm Mike Gill. Hey, coming up tonight, how does James Bradbury fit into the Eagles' scheme? Well, as Andrew DeChenko, if he's the perfect fit for the scheme that John Gannon wants to play. The NBA playoffs last night, it was a mismatch. Will the whole series be like that? Keith Smith at 445 today. Sports Bash is brought to you by the AC Airport. Plan your summer vacation now. Spirit Airlines is offering nonstop flights from Atlantic City International to Boston, Atlanta, San Juan, Miami, and other exciting destinations. Just visit spirit.com. I'm Mike Gill, and this is the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now, back to the free ESPN. All right, Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Download it in the Apple Store or Google Play. Gather around, folks. It's time for the Caesar Sportsbook Report. When you place your first bet with Caesar Sportsbook, it's risk-free, up to $1,100. Download the app and use promo code Radio CZR, and then place your first bet. If you win, congrats, but if not, you get your wager back as a free bet. You just heard a lot of uh, bets, betting tips right there from Cam Rogers on the PGA Championship. You must be 21 and physically present in New Jersey. New users only bet amount of qualifying wager return. Only if the bet is settled as a loss. Paid as a single bet credit must be used within 14 days. See Caesars.com slash promo for full terms. If you or somebody you know has a gambling problem, call 100 gambler In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. Caesars Sportsbook downloaded people. Phillies are losing. So it's been a series of 3-0 games, and it's 2-0 now, Padres. In the rubber match of this uh, three-game set at Citizens Bank Park, three nothing in Game One. Phillies come back last night, dominating performance from Wheeler. They win three nothing, and right now they're down two nothing in the seventh. Now you were frustrated in the break. You want hits, you want runs.
2: Yeah, I, I just feel like that's you know, rash.
1: Is that irrational to want hits and runs? Of course it is. <laughs>
2: <laughs> baseball game. Come on.
1: Well, you're you're like you had this whole like thing mapped out in your head, and I
2: had to give you, like, my retort. Today's a day of retorts. That's fine. I want receipts here. I just just feel like you're going against a pitcher with a four-something ERA. You should be able to find a way to skirt across two hits.
1: Theoretically, yes. And to which I said, keep in mind, there's a reason that guy has a four ERA. He doesn't give up four runs every single game. Some games he gives up six, some games he gives up one, some games he gives up eight, another one he goes a shutout, sometimes it's five, sometimes it's two, and then it all equals up to averaging
2: four. And sometimes Mike Gill gives a literal answer.
1: <laughs> but, that, you know, it's like uh, that's uh, the way it works sometimes. That's the way the cookie crumbles. By the way, is. Tom Durkin was the...
2: The guy before the, the, Larry? the
1: track announcer. Yeah, as soon as the guy texted in Tom Durkin, I remembered him immediately. So now, what? I want to ask that guy if he's still listening. Now, he said Durkin was better, but Larry's really good. Do you agree with me that all of the horse racing announcers sound very similar in voice inflection and, like, the way they sound? Like, almost like an auctioneer. right? Right. I think they do. Yeah, yeah. like, I wouldn't have known that Tom Durkin wasn't calling the race. Because Larry sounds similar to him.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it's like how if you ever listen to, like, SEC radio calls for college football, like, they don't all sound the same, but there's definitely an inflection similarity to, like, the guy who calls the Auburn game and the guy who calls the Ole Miss game.
1: Well, I mean, yeah, they have in the South a more Southern accent uh, that's more pronounced than maybe some... Of the announcers up in the north, right, right. Now I'm just talking about the sound of their like the 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 actual like tone, the pitch of their voice. They all sound very similar. Like this nasally. He's coming outside. He's coming on the inside, and here comes down down the stretch. Think. now. They showed the live video of him in calling the race. Oh, did they really? Yeah, you got to watch this. So first off, it looks like he's in like an office room. It's not like a. It's definitely not like a radio, like a um, you know, a, like a broadcast booth. Mm-hmm. It's like he's in a an office, and he's got binoculars and he's calling the Rays, But he's into it, man. He's got the arms like rolling down the stretch. They come like, but don't they all have that nasally kind of sound?
2: They do, and I I just say it's similar to how you know. All jockeys almost look the same. Every horse owner, almost all of them, look the same. It's like a culture yeah, thing. I really
1: guess. Uh, stereotyping people here.
2: Well, I mean, I just feel like there's a there's a pattern
1: here. <laughs> well, most jockeys look the same because, yeah, they're not going to get a six foot eight guy to ride a horse.
2: <laughs> Maybe they should <laughs> <laughs> see what happens.
1: You know, it's like, <laughs> hey, uh, can I see your resume? Oh, this this jockey here is applying for the job, but he's six foot eight
2: not going to work. I don't know. Maybe Randy Johnson should ride some horses. Got some more text messages I should (laughs) probably get to.
1: Ryan in EHT says the expectations for the Eagles are, uh, are different than the Sixers. Eagles were in rebuild and achieved far more than expected. Sixers were expected to continue to go further and further, but haven't. Success to get to playoffs? Sure. Failure to go further year after year? Yes. We'll see like Um, that's an interesting one because the the original topic that brought this up, the question I think was more related to the Sixers in that at what point do we start being critical of the Eagles for just making the playoffs? Like his, the guy's point was who cares if the Eagles win nine or 10, Mm -hmm. if they lose in the wild card. Now, that text says the expectations are different from the Eagles and the Sixers.
2: They are, but they're not at the same time because they're different because they're different sports and they're they're both in different places in their evolutionist franchises, but they have the same fans. So, you know, fans' expectations in Philadelphia are always going to be high, but yes. Which I have
1: no problem with, by the
2: way. But they're both in different places in their evolution and their development and part of it is because of who they are but part of it is also because of the sports that they're in like i said earlier you're like running out
1: of you're almost (laughs) so
2: (laughs) it's just i i can't emphasize enough basketball and hockey half the league plus more make the postseason so the trajectory for your success is different then in a sport like football, where less than half the teams make it in the Well, post-season. they are letting more
1: teams in now, but...
2: Fourteen teams make it in the NFL.
1: Seven in each side, though. Correct. It's so only seven in no, the top No, I'm conference. going
2: overall. Go over the entire league, 14 out of 32. Yeah, but,
1: okay, so that's another point. Like, you could win, say, 11 games in your conference, be better than someone in the other conference, and still not make the playoffs. Correct. Which you theoretically could do in basketball, too.
2: It's a lot harder in basketball because now at the play-in tournament, you got 20 teams that technically have a shot.
1: I know, I'm just saying, like, but in like the Western Conference for years, you had teams winning 45 games, not get the playoffs, and teams under 500 in the East were playoff teams. Right.
2: And that's part of the reason why they came with the play-in tournament to rectify some of that. But right now, about 20 teams have a chance at the postseason every year. Whereas in the NFL, it's 14. That's a huge difference to me.
1: Yeah, but I think part of the... Okay, this is where the whole thing with the Sixers kind of came into play. Is part of the problem was the Sixers were making the playoffs. It just wasn't... It wasn't... Accepted.
2: Right. It, it, It was the idea that the product... Okay, the product the Sixers were putting on the floor was an inferior product compared to the other teams in the city at the time and the rest of the league simultaneously.
1: Right. So the the, like, the the conversation originated with the guy saying that when is winning 10 games and losing in the wild card game, like, who cares? To which I said... That's how the process was born. Like, you stopped caring about the Sixers making the playoffs and getting knocked out in the first round. So are we now getting to the point where we don't care about the Eagles' seasons because they're not as good as we want them to be?
2: No, I don't think that's happening at all. I think that one individual started a conversation that went off the rails on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Uh, All right, well. Uh, some text messages here. Ryan and EHT. The Flyers can't spend over the cap. It's a hard cap unlike baseball where you can pay luxury. Now teams like Tampa Bay and Vegas manipulate it by putting player on long-term injury reserve into the playoffs. No cap in the playoffs. Then you can reactivate said injured player without cap implications. Thanks for the literal Vegas explanation. Vegas isn't even in the playoffs, are they? Huh? Vegas isn't even in the playoffs, they? missed
2: they? the playoffs by the fact they had coach, Pierre DeBoer.
1: Right. So he said teams like Tampa Bay and Vegas manipulate it Unless they did that in the past.
2: Well, Vegas has been manipulating it, but that was because of the way the expansion draft went. When the expansion draft gave them the opportunity to get all those good players, they had to get real creative in how they stashed guys and contracts and situations like that. And they've gotten really good at it. You know, he mentions Tampa. Another team that's good at it, for example, is Calgary. Calgary has gotten really creative in how they've manipulated fitting guys under the cap. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of things you can do. You know who would be great in the NHL? Howie Rosen would be the god of the NHL. Because he's so good at manipulating a cap.
1: Uh, Tom in the Villas chimes in. He says, irrational fans expect to win every year while at the same time wanting new coaches and players every year. Yeah, I can agree with that. Tom's right. He ain't wrong.
2: <laughs> he ain't wrong about that.
1: Oh uh, man, um, you are right. Like, um, let's see. Uh, Phil says, Mike, I think a person that make. I think that person makes no sense. As a fan, making the playoffs is great. You can't win a Super Bowl without making the playoffs. Plus, players want to play for a winner. If the Eagles were coming off a four and thirteen season, I guarantee James Bradbury would have signed someplace else. Do I agree? Yes, I do agree. But I also, like the question that I said you have to ask yourself, Phil, if you are a fan, I think the most important question is, is my team, is my franchise prioritizing winning? And for the Eagles and Sixers, I think they're both prioritizing winning. I think they both do what they can to, To try to improve the team. Now, like last year, could the the Eagles have signed more? No, cap-wise. The cap is an issue that fans sometimes like, well, you know. I think last year the Eagles exceeded expectations. And because they exceeded expectations, they got more aggressive this offseason. Hence, you have some of the moves that have been made. Hassan Reddick trading for A.J. Brown. Going out and signing uh, James Bradbury when... Your second cornerback spot was certainly a question mark. So I think the Eagles prioritize winning. I think the Sixers prioritize winning. I think the Phillies have prioritized winning to some extent. It just it just the execution sometimes hasn't worked. Right. And there's a difference between a team not being good because they've made bad decisions and not prioritizing winning.
2: Yeah, and I think that there's different tiers to... Wanting to win as well, is there not? It's also the fact that, you know, not every team has the same, you know, winning is a very vague term. Okay. You know, a team can, their goal to be to make the postseason, but they're well aware they can't win a Super Bowl. For example, doesn't mean they're not trying to win. It just means that the roster they're putting on the field is not, you know, the Tampa Bay Bucks, for example.
1: Um. Yeah, but I mean, you get to a point too where you you just don't have the, the the players. Correct. You know, you might be the new GM, and you're handed this roster, and it's just simply not good enough. Like I think Jacksonville will be interesting. Doug Peterson got a team that's just simply not very good right now.
2: And they added a bunch of talent. They added a bunch of talent in there at wide receiver and other positions. You know, they improve the offensive line. They try to make them more competitive. Doesn't now. I don't think that the Jags are more or less trying to win than, let's say, the Atlanta Falcons, who trade away Matt Ryan, brought in Marcus Mariota, and drafted uh, Drake London. You know, but I think they're in rebuild mode.
1: Uh, this is from Max in uh, Ventnor, who says the NBA playoffs aren't worth it just to make because it's best of seven. But in the NFL, best of one gives fans more excitement and hope. You can always catch fire in the NFL playoffs. Now, the whole NBA playoff thing is that you have to win a seven-game series. So if you just get right. in as the eighth seed or the seven seed or the sixth seed, that generally you are not going to win. Now, we've seen some minor instances of it. But I do agree that is, again, part of why the Sixers went down the path that they went down was, hey – the talent we currently have is only kind of capping us out as, like, the sixth seed at best. Right. I don't even think they were the sixth seed. I think the best they were was seven over, like, a ten-year stretch.
2: Yeah, they were seven and eight there for a while. So if we're seven and eight, we are just
1: simply not—we're not, not going to pull off four upsets.
2: Correct. And, you know, that's why I was saying earlier, there, there's there's different tiers to winning, okay? You know I think a franchise like the New York Knicks are just happy to get in the postseason at this point in time as a team like the Nets guarding KD and a Kyrie to try to win a championship. All right, more
1: sports bash on the way. Football at four. Andrew DiCecco, how does James Bradbury change the ability to call plays for John Gannon's defense? That is in 20 minutes. Travel with the pros at Philly Sports Trips. If you're a diehard Philly fan who's looking for some great Philly sports road trips, it's time to check out the full trip lineup at phillysportstrips.com. Now, back to the ESPN. All right, Sports Bash Live 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Download it in the Apple Store or Google Play. Hey, you know, I've been telling you about my friends over at Ambient Comfort. You know, the saying, April showers bring May flowers. But what do Mayflowers bring you, ask? Well, allergies. So it's a great time to contact my friends at Ambient Comfort and ask about their indoor air quality solutions, including air purifiers, air filtration systems. These systems from Ambient Comfort provide so many benefits for your family. They can disinfect and continuously clean your air, eliminating biological contaminants, including viruses, mold, spores, and bacteria that fly around our houses. Whether you're dealing with allergies, asthma, or you just want to cut down on the dust in the air, Ambient Comfort will audit your home to determine the best air quality solution. Then they'll install and maintain the system that makes sense for your home. If you're a bit of a germaphobe, this is for you. When comfort matters, choose Ambient Comfort. Visit AmbientComfortNJ.com. That's AmbientComfortNJ.com or call 609-568-0955, 609-568-0955, and tell them Mike Gill from the Sports Bass sent you. All right, we've got Boston, Miami, game two tonight. We've got uh, Marcus Smart likely going to be back in that game. We've got a whole bunch of things we want to get into. Jr. from wagerpro.com, wagerpro.com. Uh, app is with me again here on this Thursday with the Eastern Conference Finals. I'm sure that's something you are zoning in on
4: tonight, JR. Big time. Couldn't be more excited. I appreciate you guys having me on as always, and guys huge information on tonight's big matchup between the heat and the celtics couldn't be really more pumped up about not just the information but i really think this is such a great matchup and you're going to see a lot of back and forth a lot of lead changes in this game and that's exactly why they've got this point spread right now where it drops from five down to two obviously that's because of the injury but nonetheless I'm going to tell you that the information I have, I feel like I, I, when this is all said and done and the smoke clears, we're going to have at least a 10 to 12 point winner on our hands. So call the number. It's free. It's on a recorded message. 800-499-3733 is the number to call. That's 800-499-3733 for the Celtics Heat point spread winner free sitting on a 30 second message. Now, again, 800 499 3733. Three, three. All right, uh that's tonight and you can listen to the game
1: right here on 973 ESPN. You know, this weekend I was uh up a little too early for my liking JR and I heard you guys on the uh Saturday morning show talking a little baseball betting and uh you know, using the <laughs> run lines. Uh the run lines over uh, other bets when betting baseball. Some of the tips for betting baseball. We're in that season where we're running out of things to bet, but people still want to, you know, have a little action. So Why use
4: run lines over other bets in betting baseball? Uh, you know, great question. And that's why a lot of the guys I talk to, um, when we give out, let's say, even a heavy favorite, there are times I'll use the $2 or $250 favorite, and the client will ask, why are we not using the run line here to bring the line down? And in certain situations, it does make sense. Like tonight, the free pick I'm going to give everyone listening is going to be the Houston Astros, but we're not going to lay the 225 on this game. We're going to lay the run and a half and use the run line to bring that line down to as little as minus 105. I mean, listen. There are certain situations where the pitching matchup, and in this case, you got Valdez against Otto, um, where I, you got to say to yourself, okay, this can be a one-run game. I think when the smoke clears, they might win the game by two. That's not a game where you want to use the run line. Obviously, the run and a half can come into play, but these are two teams that if you look at the likelihood of them having a one-run game, it outweighs it not being a one-run game, where I think this is going to be not just a win by two runs, but I'm expecting at least a win by five runs or more. When you're looking at a two and a half dollar favorite in baseball, okay, and you find another two and a half dollar favorite in baseball, that's where you don't bet the run line on either game or the money line. You look for both those favorites to win on the money line and put them into a two team money line parlay. There are times also where you may like the run line on one, the money line on the other. Put them in a parlay. Don't bet them straight. There are different strategies to use throughout baseball. Even the futures in baseball is uh, extremely profitable, where when you got an expert in your corner, we help navigate through the field and tell you the right way to do this so that you're giving yourself as little risk as possible with the hope of a really good payoff. And that's the name of the game at the end of the day.
1: All right. So uh, that
4: game that uh, you sound like you like for our
1: listeners tonight, uh, has to do with the run line.
4: It does. I'm telling you get on the run line in the Houston Astros tonight. Lay the run and a half, bring that $225 money line down to minus only 105 by laying that run and a half. There's extreme value. You're looking at over a $100 payoff for laying the run and a half. Now, if you see a run line, let's say, at minus 180, excuse me, a a money line at minus 180, and the run line is minus a run and a half, and you're still minus 125, there's no value there. Tonight, you have huge value, more than a $100 difference from the money line and the run line. You got to get all over it. Get in the Astros, lay the run and a half, and you're only minus 105.
1: All right, uh, JR, uh, don't forget everybody out there, boston
4: miami that is the big one tonight it is call the number it's absolutely free right now on a recorded message at 800-499-3733 that's 800-499-3733 and you mentioned a moment ago guys tune in on the weekends when we run a one-hour show we break down games we give out free picks We let you know some strategies in betting baseball when we've got a little bit more time than, you know, a five- or a ten-minute segment. So tune in on the weekends for the WagerPro.com radio show. Call now for the free pick on a recording. Tonight's big basketball winner between the Celtics and Heat, 800-499-3733. As always, I appreciate you having me. Guys, be safe. Have a great week. And go out there and make some money. All right. JR WagerPro uh
1: dot com and the Wager Pro app. Yes, uh, if you're driving around early mornings, they've got plenty more information for you guys on that Saturday morning. As I said, I was up and Adam listening to the show, and I actually heard him give a little plug to Atlantic City in his uh segments that we do here, where he has been giving out a bunch, a bunch, a bunch of bunch of winners over the time that we've had him on those free picks. He gave you Houston in the run line uh for that game tonight. Six oh nine. Four zero three oh nine seven three six zero nine four zero three oh nine seven three. 973 Well, I have a couple of minutes here. I'll try to clear out a couple more text messages from you guys out there. I actually got some messages from the free mobile app earlier today that I want to get into as well. Let's see if I have time to open up the app questions. And uh, there we go. Let's open up the app and get some questions. Uh, This is from Josh in Dover, Delaware, listening on the app. He says, Mike, I watched the Suns lose by a lot um, all of game seven. The fans were cheering them on the majority of the game, trying to help them get back in it. If that was Philly, it would have been brutal. I guess that was in a response to the topic we brought up earlier in the show was, does the margin of victory matter? Uh, Yes, the Suns got basically destroyed all of game number seven. Do we think the Suns aren't a good team? You know, when we look back at the Suns, and they got crushed in Game 7 at home. They had 61 wins. I think it's very disappointing that they didn't at least make it back to the finals. But because of the margin of victory, what do we take from them? Are they not a good team? Of course the Suns were a good team. That goes back to what we were talking about. That margin of victory really shouldn't matter you know, somebody brought up the fact that the the Eagles lost to Tampa Bay. And, look, I don't think the Eagles were on the same level as Tampa Bay last year. But in a one-game situation, you have a bad day. You get beat by 30, 35, 40 points, whatever. Like, are you going to lose by 30, 35, 40 points every season? They played Tampa during the season, didn't lose by 35 points or whatever the final score is. So I think we take margin of victory a little bit too much into – The separation in talent between teams, if that makes sense. Like, right now, I think Golden State is more talented than Dallas is. I think Phoenix is more talented than Dallas is. So why is Dallas still playing? It's a really good question. Uh, Marcus Hayes wrote an interesting piece over at the Philadelphia Inquirer. I want to get into that a little bit later on in the show as well. Sports Bash with you. I got some more text messages that I will try to get into here shortly. We've got football at four on the other side with Andrew DiCicco. And why Pete Thompson tonight at five? You remember that week 17 game the Eagles played that everybody was just incensed about that they, quote unquote, maybe lost on purpose? You know, Doug Peterson pulled Jalen Hurts in that game. Of course, everybody thinks... Uh, everybody thinks Jalen Hurts stinks, so they but they're mad that he got pulled from a game. Think about that. Anyway, they put um, Sudfeld in the game. All of the things that happened for the Eagles because of that Week 17 loss, that's tonight at 5 o'clock. Don't miss it. Sports Bash, 97.3 ESPN, and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app powered by First Bank of CIO.
0: ESPN presents the Sports Bash with Mike Gill. It's time for Football at Four with 97.3 ESPN.com's Andrew DiCieco.
2: My first allegiance is what will be best for the Philadelphia Eagles and our fans
0: for the next three, four, five years. Powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. Now, live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios. It's
1: football at four. Uh, yes, it is football at four. It's powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. It dropped this morning at 6 a.m. It's powered by the pros at Philly Sports Trips. If you're a diehard Philly fan who's looking for some great Philly sports road trips, it's time to check out the full trip lineup at Philly Sports Andrew Decheco is here. We've got some Eagles to dive into today. Yesterday, they made the signing of James Bradbury. He will join the secondary. It'll be Slay, Maddox, and Bradbury now. So how will that help John Gannon's scheme? How will that allow him to change the way he calls his defenses? There's only one man who has the answer to those questions, and it's Andrew DiCicco who joins us right now on Football at Four. Andrew, what's up, buddy?
5: Hey, Mike, how's it going?
1: It's going good, man. I know Eagles fans are excited. It's like, uh, hey, last year we need Steve Nelson. They got Steve Nelson. Well, then he left, and now they needed to replace him. It seems that they upgraded Steve Nelson with James Bradbury. Is this an upgrade for Philadelphia?
5: Yeah, I would definitely say so. And this this further cements what we were talking about over the past couple weeks that the roster was far from being a finished product a lot of times. I mean, you look at what the Eagles did by getting Ronald Darby in August. They got Steve Nelson late in the summer. I believe it was late July. So the roster's constantly changing. We got one was another late signing in May. I believe that was uh, the anniversary recently came up. I think I saw that on social media. So they're constantly going to be churning the roster, getting some some veteran ads late in in the summer as the Eagles have a history of doing that. So I never really felt that they were going to go into the season, certainly with Zach McPherson, Mac McCain, Josiah Scott, and those guys, Tay Gowan vying for that last cornerback spot. I always thought that they had a plan, and they upgraded in a big way by getting James Bradbury. All right, so
1: how does Bradbury first fit into this defense?
5: he's a seamless fit and he really fits in any system I mean he is the big-bodied 6'1", 210 pound perimeter corner that is going to take the the bigger possession type of receiver physical guy that that the opposition has and have I imagine that Slay is going to handle the more nuanced route runners, the quick, speedy quicker guys and they really have the best of both worlds in in both of those corners and then you have Maddox, that could really is, is a really terrific in short area quickness, and, and can handle these uh, these little shifty slot receivers. So they really do have the the cornerback contingent, the top three guys that are that are well equipped to handle receivers of all shapes and sides right
1: so bradbury has kind of had the label of uh, a a zone corner uh how is that right with, you know john gannon how um did he call defenses last year and now with bradbury how can he change that up well you expect i would imagine you're he said he chose this uh the eagles because of the scheme fit for him i would imagine mm-hmm. that means does that signal to you more zone looks for them
5: I would imagine so, but I do think that he offers the flexibility to play man at end zone. He's that good. But I also think that it had to do with scheme, but I also think that when you look at what the roster is sort of transpiring, the roster that's shaking out in Philadelphia, I think that he sees this as an opportunity to win and playing opposite Darius Slay, there's gonna be more opportunities for him to make some plays as well. So I, I think it's a better overall situation for him. But yes, I, I do expect to see some more zone looks uh, with this addition.
1: Um, obviously, you've got Slay and Bradbury and Maddox there. Um, would you say that that this Eagle secondary went from being a big question mark to maybe one of the stronger secondaries in the
5: conference? If everybody plays to standard, yes. <laughs> uh, on on, on paper, abs- on paper, absolutely. But right now, I, I mean, you, you just added a 28 year old Bradbury who's coming off, you know, a little bit of a, of a lackluster season, but he's played at a high level just two years, two seasons ago, and he's, like I said, he's 28 years old, and I think that he's going to be in a favorable scheme and playing again, playing opposite a, a, a you know, a, a caliber of talent such as Darius Slay. I think you're going to see a a vastly improved James Bradbury this season in Philadelphia. And I'm really interested to see how Jonathan Gannon really allocates him and chooses to deploy him because now he has so much optionality.
1: Yeah. Now, I'd like you to get into that a little bit because this is a Pro Bowl guy. And there was a, you know, James Bradbury two years ago, if you were playing the Giants, hey, they got this shutdown guy, you know, Bradbury's having a great year. Now, numerically, he was very similar. He had actually more interceptions and about the same pass defenses in 2021 that he did the year before. And many people thought he had a down year last year. What do you attribute the really good year in 2020 versus what happened in 2021?
5: The surrounding play in the secondary, I I think that had a lot to do with it. Um, Just the, the constant... The constant shuffling around and and just there wasn't a whole lot of stability there on, on on that back end and also the the front the the defensive line they weren't getting home took a, put a lot more pressure on what he was able to do I just think that as a whole that whole Giants defense really regressed compared to the season before that with, with Patrick Graham where he was really looked at it as, as a shining star uh, i think that it was just a culmination of things but i think he's in a better situation now i think you're going to see the eagles take advantage of his intangibles and what he really brings to the table from a skill set standpoint
1: yeah and i know that uh, a lot of people um waiting for that safety um if they went with this team with marcus epps and anthony harris is that in your mind uh, acceptable
5: yeah, I think it is. And the thing to keep in mind is obviously you're not going to be strong in every area. I think right now, before this signing, cornerback two was the most glaring deficiency on the on the roster, I would say. You simply could not go into the season. They couldn't line up, to be to be honest. They couldn't line up with what they currently had there. So I think you take that safety tandem of Anthony Harris and Marcus Evans given what you have, given the surrounding talent, and I think you're going to be able to get by with those, with those two players. I really do think that Marcus Epps is going to be a player that takes a step forward this year. He's really been a player that has really improved each season. And I think you saw what he was with more playing time with what you saw last year. He really seem to really integrate himself well to, to with to with what Jonathan Gannon was asking of him
1: yeah I know um you know and it's funny because you look at the secondary now and then you know John Gannon's going to be able to call defenses differently not only because of secondary but it's now all-encompassing because of what they have already added with Reddick, getting Jordan Davis the addition of Kobe Dean and Kaiser White I would imagine you are going to see a lot different looks now in general from this philadelphia eagles defense with john gannon and i guess you would say john gannon has no excuses now
5: <laughs> absolutely now he has the, the the players in place and he had his say in some of the the players and and the 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 build and the frame that uh, certain players that he's looking for so now you have to get you know you have to get it put them all in position to be successful and can concoct something that's going to be some semblance of, 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 a, of a stingy defense, there's no excuses now. You have your guys. they, You know, you, your hands aren't tied any longer, so you have to make some plays now and, and be a little bit more aggressive and just be more consistent on the defensive side of the ball because now you have the playmakers.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it'll be interesting, like, I don't know. Does he? So, for the people out there, you know this, Andrew, the Eagle fan. They don't blitz enough. They don't blitz. They don't send enough guys. Do you expect this to be an aggressive blitzing defense? What What, what should Eagle fans now expect with the personnel that they have?
5: I think you're going to see a, a lot more variety, right? I, I think you're going to see some more blitzing because you're able to take those chances when you're a little bit, you know, more solidified on that back end. Now, even more so with with Bradbury. And you, you have the, the linebackers and Kaiser Way, I think is really going to be an X factor here on defense. And, and some of the, and Nicole Dean is a fantastic blitzer. So you're going to see some of that. But also, I think that they're, they're well, they're, they're able to get home, I think with, with, with the front forward they currently have. And, and I think the re, the X factor there is Jordan Davis. He's someone that's going to occupy double teams and open things up for everyone else. I think Josh Sweat's going to have a big year given the pieces that are, that are, that have been added around him. So I think it's really going to be a lot of, uh, you're going to see a lot of variety here and a lot more flexibility in what he's able to do. If he's not able to live up to his heading as this, young defensive coordinator that that has head coaching upside, there's going to be a big problem because there's no excuses any longer.
1: Yeah, and, and I guess one of the interesting things in this, uh, I feel anyway, uh, will be that linebacker room and how they end up using these guys because it seems like they can change their fronts, they can change their linebacker looks, they can they have a lot of versatility in the not only the play calling, but the players they can put in those positions. I mean, they can throw a lot of different looks at you, where in the past, you weren't getting the same amount of depth and talent to be able to do multiple things with.
5: One hundred percent agree. Now you have linebackers with such a diversified skill set. Like you said, you have your you have, you have your run game. Your your run defending linebacker and TJ Edwards. You have uh, a, a number of athletic guys and Davion Taylor if he's able to stay healthy. And you have the Kobe Dean, who I think the Kobe Dean's going to be you know a day one starter. So they just they can give you so many different looks now now it's all about how quickly can these players that are coming in from from the outside how quickly can they integrate and pick up the system and can they stay healthy and carry it through training crap training camp
1: football for Andrew decheco's here now can training camp get here soon enough i mean i I feel like now. People have jumped from, hey, you know, this Eagles team could be pretty good to almost now putting them into another category, Andrew. So uh, is it fair to say the expectations have changed, not just because of James Bradbury, but has that kind of put the cherry on top of where your expectations move from maybe a wild-card team to overtaking Dallas? Is that fair,
5: or do you need to see more? No, I I think when you look at all the moves the Eagles have made, the Eagles essentially – Wanted to made made it clear with their moves that they want to be the class of the NFC East. That they have, you know, greater aspirations than where they than how last season ended. And I mean, you you look at what they have now. They're leaving. They're they're not leaving anything to chance. They they want their defensive coordinator. To be, to be have the players in place to be successful. They want their quarterback to be successful in Jalen Hurts and giving, giving him another weapon in A.J. Brown. You go down the list, and, the, and they've really checked off most of the boxes that were glaring you know, uh, deficiencies on the roster going into the offseason. So the Eagles have really essentially pushed their chips in to the middle of the table and they said you know what let's 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 go let's do this man we, we want to be we want to be in this just as much as anybody else does
1: i'm glad you brought that up because yesterday that's kind of how i opened the show andrew and it sounds like you agreed to some extent is the bradbury move is a move that says let's go for this let's let's try to win the division let's you know hey are we going to win the super bowl you never know but that's at least try to get that home field playoff game let's go for this
5: I think the Eagles saw this as they saw the division as an opportunity that they thought that were maybe a player or two away. So why not sign a 28-year-old corner who it still has a lot of great football left in them, And I, I think that they saw themselves as very close to to be you know right up there with Dallas. And now this puts them in, at least on paper ahead of them in this. And I, I really do I really do feel that the Eagles are confident with what they've done in the off season to. Put them in, a, put them in one of the, the top teams, in the NFL this season, and, um, and and really make a run at this thing. And, and now it all all depends on how quickly can or, or how can Jalen Hurts take that next step, and how can Nick Sirianni take that next step now? Because I think on, I think defensively, Mike, they've really solidified that, and I think they're that shouldn't be an issue this year now offensively are they able to take that next step can they become that prolific aerial attack that you know that Jeffrey Lurie and and Howie Roseman really envisioned that and really would like for that offense to be yeah
1: I, I agree you know because the offense they added A.J. Brown and that's huge but you're essentially bringing back most of the same personnel if not all the same personnel except for Brown and that really adds that but this defense has a completely different look And I think, uh, that is a great sign that they, you know, so many times, Andrew, fans get concerned of, oh, I don't even want to make the playoffs because that will give the front office a false sense that they're better than they really are. This is a clear example of the Eagles making the playoffs and then not saying, oh, we're pretty good. Like, no, they went and said, we were good, but let's get to that next level. Right. And they did it on the defensive, they did it on the defensive side of the ball.
5: Uh, right, they're they're not resting on their laurels. They really wanted to to, to really take that next step. Let, let's let's add the pieces here. They they obviously knew that, that corner has been a perpetual problem, and and linebackers and and getting home with regularity on the defensive line. And you look at it, they've added players, key players, yep. on all three levels of the defense. So they're, they're ready to make a run at this thing. And I think Eagles fans should be really excited with what they've done this off season. Now let's. Like I said, getting everybody up to speed in training camp because when you're getting all these different parts and and all these different ingredients, I would say you know in in the stew, they all need to be able to come together and, and pretty much and gel in order for this to be a cohesive unit. All right, uh, so James Bradbury's in. you got Slay
1: Maddox. You've got Brandon Graham coming back. Keep that in mind as well. Derek Barnett will probably get a lesser role. Uh, We'll see with Jordan Davis. you got Fletcher Cox, Hargrave, Josh Sweat, the linebackers with Kazir White, N'Kobe Dean, TJ Edwards. Don't forget Davion Taylor. He was playing well. Uh, I guess, what is the... I don't want to say is there a weakness. Obviously, there's a weakness, but what is the one area still that's a question mark for you after this off season of where they are now?
5: Uh, I would I would still say, well, I would say depth at tight end. Dallas Goddard's been someone that's the, the way that the nature in which he plays the game it, it lends itself to you know not necessarily being available for an entire season, and that's the guy who is a very key element to what the Eagles want to do on offense, and a security blanket for Jalen Hurts. So, um, I mean, moving J.J. Ortega-Whiteside to tight end, I don't know that that moves the needle very much. It gives them much of a uh, insurance behind Goddard, but that, that's an area that I would look at. They're really strong on the offensive line. Adding A.J. Brown obviously solidifies and, and strengthens that receiver, receiving unit, and I think moving Quez Watkins to a third receiver role is going to open so many more things up for him and you're really going to see him take flight this year and i mean when you look at def- defensively there's still question marks at linebacker you need to see the pieces are there and you and you've added you've added different names but until they really produce on the field there's always going to be question marks there i think you can get by with what you have at safety only because they've added so many other parts around it and, and improved and bolstered the, the pass rush and added a, another strong cornerback uh, complemented Darius Slay. All
1: right, uh, Football 4, will have uh, minicamps, OTAs, training camp. Uh, Andrew and I will... I'll go through our annual look at the division starting soon as we get closer to the camps opening up and all the things in the NFC. By the way, uh, I saw this stat today. The playoff wins since uh, 2000. The Eagles' 14 playoff wins is the most in the division by far. The next closest is the Giants with 10. Dallas has three. And since the year 2000, the Commanders have one playoff win. Uh, so keep that in mind as we enter 2022. Andrew DeCecco, football at four from insidethebirds.com. Thanks, bud.
5: My pleasure. Take care.
1: Always fun to catch up with Andrew and we will start our division breakdowns here shortly as we get into the summer. Andrew and I will go through all the different divisions and get his thoughts on each team inside, uh, the, uh, divisions in the NFL. And that will take us right into the start of the season. And of course, You can hear Eagles football right here on 97.3 ESPN. We were talking earlier about, you know, demanding your team to win and expecting your team to win. You know, the Eagles have 14 playoff wins since 2000. That's the most in the division by far, as we just said. 14, New York has 10. And that's my point is your team doesn't exist in a vacuum. Everybody is trying to do the same thing. But the Eagles are lapping the field when it comes to, you know – you got to start at somewhere. Set a goal somewhere. The goal is to win the division, right? Be the best team in your division. If you're the best team in your division, you're representing your, t- your, your division in the playoffs by being the division champion. You get that home game, and that gives you the opportunity to have a better path to a Super Bowl. 14 playoff wins since 2000, when the next team in your division only has 10, and then the next team only has three. I mean, the Dallas Cowboys have three playoff wins since 2000. Three. Washington has one, but, you know, uh, the Washington football team, there was a time, you know, when I was a young man, When I was growing up, the Washington football team was the best team in the NFC East. The Washington Commanders football team, whatever the hell you want to call them. They're so irrelevant that no one even cares about what you call them anymore. They've won one playoff game since the year 2000. One. I mean, just when we talk about our teams, just keep these things in perspective. What I tell you the other day... About the Lions haven't won one playoff game in 30 years. Not one. Washington has won one. And Dallas has three. Three. So when I ask, is it irrational to have those expectations? Think about those fan bases. It's just inside your own division, for God's sakes. They have four combined playoff wins between two franchises. that's 40 seasons. I mean, that's, that's really. It's 42 seasons, when you think about it. I mean, the Cowboys and the Washington commanders are essentially a laughing stock in the last. I mean, there are generations of people out there who have never seen those teams win playoff games. Think about that. The Eagles at fourteen, and the Eagles fans bitch and moan. Jeez, uh, Phillies are down to their final at bat, down two nothing in the bottom of the ninth. We'll give you the details coming up next, plus the headlines here on the Sports Bash. Now three ESPN. At four twenty eight, time for a look at today's headlines. We'll see what the stories that interest Josh the most. Maybe not me so much, but we'll see what he thinks. I kid, I kid, I kid. Now, I do have a story that I will throw into the mix today. It might not interest you. We'll or it might. The guy said to me the other day, I love all the stories that you pick. never interest Josh and the story Josh picks never interests you. Do you guys not talk about this before? And I said, actually, we don't.
2: That's kind of the point of the segment. <laughs>
1: You definitely see the difference in personalities with the stories we pick. You Uh, remember where this movie, this song, this movie's from? I've referenced this movie a handful of times in the last, during this week of shows.
2: Well, there's actually multiple movies this song is from. Sure, but I mean. And the problem is, the first one that comes to my mind, I know you never saw, so I gotta wipe that one out of my head. Was it, uh,. Aquaman? Guardians of the Galaxy. I did see that. Oh, well, that's in Guardians of the Galaxy.
1: I have seen Guardians of the Galaxy, you jerk.
2: That, he calls scene. me
1: out tells me I've never seen Guardians of the Galaxy, and I have, in fact.
2: That might be the only Marvel movie you've ever seen. <laughs> uh, there's a scene where him and Gamora are dancing. He introduced her to music for the first time, and it's that song. And he leans in to kiss her, and then she pulls out her knife and threatens to kill him if he tries to seduce <laughs> her ever again.
1: It was in Boogie
2: Nights. Gotcha. Yeah. All right, let's uh, let's start with Matt Harvey. You know, we all remember when Matt Harvey was a big deal. Yeah, right? this
1: story here is. Uh, I'm glad you brought the story up. Go ahead.
2: He's being suspended sixty games.
1: He, by the way, he should be suspended for life
2: for distributing yeah. a prohibited drug of abuse. The guy died, by the way. Now Harvey testified. Against the Angels employee, Eric Kay.
1: He got immunity. This was part of the thing. Correct.
2: So Eric Kay is the guy who gave Tyler Skaggs originally the drugs that he overdosed on. Mm -hmm. Harvey testified in exchange for immunity, as you mentioned, that he acknowledged providing Skaggs with the Percocet pills that were found in his possession because he admitted to it because apparently... Eric K. supplied him with other drugs that he would then overdose on as well. Apparently Harvey, who also has a personal history of drug use and abuse that goes back years. Yeah. He recently signed a minor league deal with the Orioles, but considering he's suspended now, we might not see him at all the rest of the well, season. Well, he
1: got suspended for sixty days, which don't sixty games. Sixty games, which don't start until he's back on a major league roster. Correct. So, so basically
2: a team has no incentive to bring him up anytime. Soon.
1: No, of course. Um look, he should be suspended for life, number one. He took someone's life. Mm-hmm. He contributed to somebody dying. Right? Yeah. For him to be suspended 60 games is preposterous. And yeah, if any team takes a shot on Matt Harvey, shame on them profusely. I don't think anybody will, so I don't think I have to be overly angry about that. But anybody who has any association with this trash, I mean, he's just a piece of human filth. I I think it's disgusting, the story. And Major League Baseball should be ashamed of themselves for giving him only 60 days.
2: Who is more likely to pitch again in the major leagues, Matt Harvey or Trevor Bauer?
1: Bauer, I don't think you'll ever see Harvey pitch again. Okay. And quite frankly, any and like I think I think Harvey, not not even in the minors. No minor league team will even pick him up. I don't even know that I don't even know that you'll see him pitch in an independent league. First off, he can't pitch anymore. He's done. Uh, well, did, I mean, he was with the Orioles. He was in the— He was like a nice feel-good story for—
2: He's currently in the Orioles organization. So. Doing what? In the minor leagues. He's pitching now? He's in the Orioles minor league system oh, this year. I thought he was hurt. He, uh, he was assigned to them on April 8th.
1: I knew he was with the Orioles organization, but I didn't think he was healthy.
2: Uh, he was supposed to come back pitch the rest of the year but now suspension
1: I don't I, I don't think you'll see I mean look
2: well, let me say it's about the, power I, I, the story thing. I heard
1: somebody brought this story up to me this morning and I wanted to bring it up actually I'm glad you reminded me about it because um, this story kind of bothered me in that they gave, they gave the guy 60 days right 60 games 60 games a 60 game suspension he is one of the reasons that this guy's life the guy died right I mean, I'm, are you serious? That that is unbelievable to me.
2: Can I uh, bring up a more fun story?
1: I hope so. Hold on, I want I'm trying. So Harvey last year was six and fourteen with an ERA of six twenty seven and a WHIP of one fifty four.
2: Sounds about right. I, he
1: was awful. Listen. Harvey had his quick brief run with the Mets. He was excellent for the Mets for a year?
2: No, I say more than a
1: year. He he was He
2: was on a team that lost to the Royals in the World he Series. They went to the
1: World Series that one year. He was very good. And he wasn't even very he was very good in those playoffs. He went 3 and 5, 9 and 5, 13 and 8. Those are his best years.
2: I Felt
1: like it was more than that. He, well, those two years with the three years with the Mets, he had a 2.73, a 2.27, and a 2.71. Right. After that, those three seasons. Well, the one year I told you he went, he had a 2.73 RA. He was three and five. He pitched in ten games. What was it? It's a
2: 2013.
1: It's, play he had the two season. years. He was nine and five and thirteen and eight. Those are the years I said he was very good. After that, four eighty six, six seventy seven. 450, right. 7.09, 11.57, and um, 6.27 last year. So whatever Matt Harvey does from this point on, well, you'll never see a pitch again. So.
2: I just bring Trevor Bauer because I'm still trying to figure out, you know, what is going on with him. It's so confusing.
1: Well, that whole story is bizarre, too. But... Uh, I, I, neither one of them. I well, Bauer. I don't know if you'll ever see pitch again either. Quite frankly, we're away from the game for
2: two years. Yeah, it'd be cute. This is his second year. Yes.
1: Yep. Then he's not a young man, Bauer.
2: No, but I would think that if you have talent and you were found not guilty of a crime, you should at least have the chance to do what you do. You know what I mean? Like,
1: um, there's a lot going on with that story. Jeez, I'd have to go. I mean, he's 31 years old, so... Not pitching for two years. He's not an old guy either.
2: Right. He's not like 38, 39.
1: He was suspended for 324 games without pay.
2: Correct.
1: So, you're not going to see him for... This will be a whole nother year he's out.
2: I want to ask you about some old guys, Mike. So, Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher are at war with each other. So, Saban... Wednesday night said that Texas AM bought every player in the 2022 recruiting class. To which Fisher replied that they never bought anyone and, quote, no rules were broken. Nothing was done wrong. It's a shame you got to sit here and defend 17 year old kids and families at Texas AM because we do things right. He went on to say that despicable that a rectal head coach come out and say this when he doesn't get his way. Fisher went on the call, saving a narcissist. And say that it's ridiculous that people don't question him and dig into his background.
1: So there's a lot here. Saban goes on, he is basically talking about the NIL and He's at that, a
2: fundraiser, by the way. Right,
1: he's at a fundraiser, he's on the stage. He obviously knows he's on camera. He obviously knows this is being report recorded and this is gonna go out there. So he goes and basically says, "Look, Texas A&M paid every one of their players. Jackson State, hey, they paid a guy a million bucks. Go read it in the newspapers." Meanwhile, Saban will be the first guy and say, "Oh, what well, was in the newspaper. That wasn't true. We never said that." Now he's just like, you know, he's like every other buddy out there. Uh, it was in the paper. Oh, it's a made-up story. Well, it was in the paper. Go read about it. They're both idiots. Okay, Saban's an idiot for bringing this up. And Jimbo Fisher's an idiot for taking the stance that he did because there's no way in hell that they're running a 100% clean program at Texas A&M either. don't don't act like a church mouse. Like, we're not doing anything wrong. We run a great program. And the whole thing, well, you know, he's he's bringing up 17-year-old kids and their families. Oh, because no 17-year-old kid and their families have ever chosen to take money and do things on, you know, hold colleges hostage by saying, we're only going to sign with you if you get us a car. We're only going to come on, dude. All of these people need a reality check. Jimbo Fisher, who's being made out to make, like, he's some saint now. and eh, Jimbo Fisher, he should have kept his mouth shut, retorting, because you know what? I'm a 1,000%. He said, oh. You want to find something, just do a little digging. You can find whatever you want. You want people to start digging on the Texas A&M program, Jimbo Fisher?
2: Or when Jimbo is at Florida State covering up Jameis Winston's indiscretions? Absolutely. So, Jimbo Fisher, don't
1: sit here and act like you are almighty had done nothing wrong. Now, it makes for great fodder back and forth that these two teams are going to play on October 8th, and now they hate each other. But, come on.
2: By the way, Bruce Feldman reached out to a couple of people about this whole situation of now Saban versus Fisher, a former SEC assistant wanting to speak on anonymity, said there's always been an honor amongst thieves mantra in the SEC, and those two just called each other's wives fat to
5: a global audience. <laughs>
2: Lane Kiffin, who went on the record to The Athletic today, said that when watching Jumbo Fisher light up Nick Saban, said this can't be really happening was my first thought. I can't believe, is this real life? I still haven't moved from my seat, honestly. This should be on pay-per-view. Saban versus
1: yeah. sure. I want to see them at SEC Media Day now.
2: Is <laughs> there anybody better than Lane Kiffin willing to go on the record about this? He's a great follow on Twitter, by the Now, way.
1: Saban apparently just moments ago was on ESPN Radio. I guess Feinbaum show, maybe? I don't know. and said that uh, I should have never singled anybody out. That was a mistake, and I apologize for
2: that part of it. Does that uh, change anything for you? No, because he should have said in the first place. He knew exactly what he was doing. Yeah. He was trying to discredit Texas A&M.
1: You were only apologizing because you got caught. Correct. Uh, NBA tonight, Eastern Conference Finals, Game 2. Celtics going to get smart back. How will that change things? That's next with Keith Smith of SpotTrack.com.
0: Now, back to my 97.3 ESPN
1: South Jersey sports leader. All right, Pete Thompson tonight at 5. Right now, Keith Smith, SpotTrack.com on the NBA. Playoffs continue tonight in the East. Boston and Miami Heat lead one game to nothing. Looks like Smart should be back. Portford out. How has that changed this series? All that and more with Keith right now on the Sports Pass Live on 97.3 ESPN. What's going on, Keith? How are you, pal? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah bud as we uh, look at game two tonight I mean game one was very hectic I mean they find out before the game just hours you know that Horford can't play smart is out. I got to imagine that really affected the you know, the, the whole situation for them do you think um, tonight should be much different? Do you expect Miami to take advantage of being at home here? Do you think uh, that hey game one they just had that all kind of thrown at them now they have a little bit better understanding of what's going on. Do you think the Celtics bounce back tonight?
6: Yeah, I think they have a better chance. They're going to have Al Horford in the lineup, and they're probably going to have Marcus Smart uh, playing tonight as well, so that, that obviously gives them a better chance then in Game One they won't have Derek White. He uh, had to leave the team for uh, the birth of a child today, so uh, so he he headed back to Boston a day early. But yeah, I think they've got a chance. They did a lot of good things in Game One. It just really got away from them with a you know truly terrible uh, third quarter. But with their main guys back and you know a little bit of a cleanup on a couple things that looked pretty fixable, I think we're going to have a pretty good series.
1: Yeah, you know, last night you watched the game between the Warriors and the Mavericks obviously, and, you know, this is a case of Dallas, you know, they just couldn't make shots the other night. What was the big key in the reason why uh, Boston lost game number one?
6: Uh, In that third quarter, they started playing really sloppy basketball. They came out, I think, knowing that they were undermanned and came out with a ton of energy to open the game. Uh, Played really well. They took care of the ball for the most part and had a really great first half, and then in that second half, Especially in that third quarter, uh, Miami upped their pressure on, on ball. They got right up into the ball handlers, really you know challenged them uh, on their dribbles, on their passes, and everything. And the Celtics just didn't match that energy and aggressiveness. And Miami at one point it was a twenty-two to two run in that quarter. Ultimately, they outscored them thirty-nine to fourteen, and they turned a eight-point halftime deficit into a pretty good-sized lead. Boston. Chipped away a little bit at a few different times in the fourth quarter. But being so shorthanded, they just didn't have the rights to get it done.
1: Yeah, and I know that uh, we we saw Philly obviously got a chance to see the Heat here. That's a deep team. And, you know, Butler right now, I mean, he's playing maybe one of the best uh, I've ever seen him play. I mean, he's he's a very good player, but this is probably the best run he's been on.
6: Yeah, a consistent run, too, because we've always seen he'll have those big games and then he'll kind of follow up a 40-point game with, maybe a 15-point game where he doesn't shoot well. And this, this has just been consistent, good game after good game. I think he's really, you know, he, he said it himself. He it, it took a little while, but he found his right place in the NBA by finding his way to Miami. And and I'm glad he hit on them being a deep team because that Heat team, they're doing a lot of this without Kyle Lowry. Uh, they're just, you know, they, they, they emphasize or uh, epitomize the next man up culture better than any other team in the NBA it's all right, this guy's out, doesn't matter. You go out there and do do your thing and, and I think what's important is Eric Spoilsher and his staff, like Gabe Vincent, for example. They don't tell Gabe Vincent, Hey, we need you to go out there and be Kyle Lowry. They just tell him go out there and be Gabe Vincent, but be the best version of Gabe Vincent you can be and we'll make this work.
1: Yeah, I know that um um, watching that Heat team play. They had a bunch of different guys that got gotcha. you. It doesn't have to be Butler. Like, for Philly to win, they need Embiid to score 30, 35 points. They don't need Butler to score 30, 35 points. They they seem to be able to have that other guy. Um, and, and then you look at the Celtics, and, and Tatum, uh, obviously, that he p- makes them go a little bit. He had a tough night with the turnovers the other night, but – uh, we'll see what kind of offense they bring to the table uh, tonight in Game Two. Uh, last night, I want to get your thoughts on that one because you see the final score and you wonder, huh? Is this just one of those series where Golden State is just better than than Dallas? You know, um, I guess you know, similar to last year when when the Hawks got to the finals, it was Trey Young and like his merry men, and then they got to the finals and kind of got wiped away. Do you feel that the talent disparity is that great, whereas Dallas, hey, they just had a bad night?
6: It's a little bit of both. I, I think the Warriors are clearly the deeper team as far as they'll go 7-8 deep into their bench and feel pretty good about the guys they put out there, where I think Dallas is. They're, they're, they'll go 8-9 deep, but I think... You know, there's a couple guys in that eight or nine where it's a little bit questionable. Like, for example, Davis Berton's, if he's not out there making shots, there's no reason to play him at all. He's not yeah. offering anything, you know, but his shooting. So I think that becomes, you know, a pretty big challenge for them. So I, I think, you know, it was also a really bad night for, for them. They, they just, they, they couldn't get that offensive rhythm going. I thought early on they, they almost played too fast trying to match the warriors as far as you know all right we're just all right this is how it's going to be played we're going to get up and down i thought their defense was a little bit off but that's what golden state does to you they're they're really firing on all cylinders and they're going to stress your defense with the way they play with you know they, they give it they're the most uh uh non-traditional offense in the league they, they do run very little pick and roll uh they they, they they're set there are a lot of uh you know more feel type things, but that's what you can get when the core of your team has been together and kind of been through it all together over the last almost decade now.
1: I know that um, Luca has uh, you know been talked about a lot. Even the people debating about where he is uh, right now. How are they able to slow Luca down? And do you think that recipe will be able to be maintained?
6: Yeah, they threw a lot of bodies at him on a lot of different guys. Andrew Wiggins opened the game, but Clay Thompson uh, guarded him for possessions. They put Otto Porter Jr. on him at times. Damian Lee off the bench caught him. Uh, I think when Luca was starting to get a little tired, that's when they said, all right, hey, now we're going to throw Jordan Poole at you. And he's just kind of going to stay in front of you as best he can. And then, uh, you know, when they really needed to, they let Draymond Green pick him up uh, more towards the end of the half just to kind of, I think, just give him a yeah, another different look. And they're, that's what they're going to do. They're going to keep running different guys at him because they know they can't really shut him down uh, fully. I mean, he still, if you just looked at his stat line, you think well, he still was kind of okay. But they know the best thing you can do is you just got to make him work, try to contain him, and then make sure you get to their, their shooters. One thing that I noticed when he had the ball at the top, it was kind of working. Draymond Green was almost playing... Kind of like the one man zone around the back where if Luca drove, he was going to come help. But if he got the ball moving, Draymond Green right now, he's got to be feeling great because he looks fantastic physically and he's covering a ton of ground and getting out to the corner and the shooters. And that's making things really hard on this Dallas offense in that first game.
1: Yeah, I know that, um, you know, they didn't really have a breakout night offensively either from Golden State. They kind of had a balanced night all over the place. So uh, that one, if I'm Dallas, I'm a little concerned about the fact that somebody on that Warriors team might get going and really have a big night. They were able to win the game by 25 and really didn't have that breakout night. Everybody was 19, 17, 16. You know, They, they had a very balanced night. Uh, and for Dallas obviously, Luka did not have a big uh, a big night there. Keith Smith with us. Before we roll, we got those two series obviously. And then here in Philly, you've got the big question going on about James Harden and that contract situation. I want to ask you what is the best-case scenario that you can actually see playing out with Harden and the Sixers?
6: Yeah, I I kind of go back and forth between two. I think uh, there's potentially for both sides what could be best is if he just opts in and they say, you know, hey, opt in, let's let this thing play out, see where it goes. I also think there's potential of, you know what we're going to do? We're going to do a – one plus one contract or a two plus one where it's short so we're still protected in case things go sideways um there i thought it was very interesting you know when the reporting came out that james Harden apparently said look i don't necessarily need the max deal and not not that he's uh you know going to follow in chris paul's footsteps as far as you know them being tight or anything because we certainly know they are not But I think he may have looked at that and said, you know, Chris Paul in Phoenix opted out of a max contract, but then got taken care of with a longer term deal, but, you know, slightly less than max money, which gave Phoenix a lot of freedom. I think Harden maybe, you know, because he's with Daryl Morey, may have almost that kind of sense of hey, maybe this is the best way for me to move this
1: thing forward. All right, Uh, the conference finals continue tonight on 97.3 ESPN. Keith Smith, uh, of course, you can follow him at Keith Smith NBA uh, from SpotTrack.com with all the offseason stuff here. You're going to want to follow him for that as well. Keith, always a pleasure, Pud. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Of course, uh, don't forget, you've got the NBA draft now, the lottery a couple nights ago. Orlando wins that. You've got Sixers offseason news. That is going to be very prominent throughout this offseason and more. The sports bash all over it. I know that uh, he said Horford's going to play tonight, so apparently he got cleared. I did not see that before he jumped on here. So Horford is cleared. That changes the dynamics of a lot of things as well. So Horford back, smart back. Listen to the game tonight on 97.3 ESPN. Rory's still in the lead at the PGA. Look at the storylines. Tiger is not having a good day at the office. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill
0: on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill.
1: All right, Phil's lose 2-0, so every loss in the series, the team got shut out. I don't know if that's ever happened before. 2010, that's a long time ago. I was going to say, when was the last time a team, every team in the series, every game, the loss, the losing team didn't score a run? 3-0, 3-0, 2-0. Phillies lose 2 out of 3 to the Padres. I'm Mike Gill. This is the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. So tomorrow is Happy Hour Friday, which is typically Pete Thompson. But Todd Rank was going to be in studio tomorrow. Now, his flight flight plans got changed, so he will no longer be in studio. So he will be on the video stream tomorrow for Happy Hour Friday. And PT is now in the Todd Rank spot on what is uh, Todd Rank Thursday. Well, I'll try to be all over the map. I'll, I'll tell you what, Gil, I'll try to be all over the map. I'll,
7: uh, i got to tell you, that's a fine shirt you're wearing right there on the street yard. Fine. Who gave that
1: to you? Yeah, a little Temple T, a little Temple Tough, baby. You like that, temple huh? Temple Tough, baby.
7: Yeah, hey, uh, what you were talking about there, the last time the Phillies were involved in a three-game series where all three games were decided by either team getting a shutout, that was 2010 against the Mets. Of course, the Phillies went 0-3 and in that series. And then the last time the Phillies have scored three or few Fewer runs in a three-game series was 2018. They only managed one run when they were at the Giants. Now, at home, you got to go back to 2016. They played Washington and only scored three runs total in that series. But that's just a long-winded way of me saying, I'm glad I went last night. Man, am I glad that I went to last night's game?
1: And not one of the other two. Well, I saw that you were at the game last night. And then, uh, obviously, the uh, Phils got the win there. You got to see a good game for the Phils. But I guess it's just again, just another sign. Like, you go out and win three out of four to the Dodgers. What do we learn from that? Well, we learn nothing. I think what we learn from what we learn from sports is we don't learn anything any night ever.
7: <laughs> well, there's no doubt they're missing um... – bryce harper in the lineup you know and of course he didn't play again today but you know he was hitting the cover off the ball and the dodgers were thrilled that he didn't play in that uh series finale you know when they played out there in los angeles uh, he was the national league player of the week for a reason but i mean the other thing that was good last night zach wheeler was really really good you know and how about that mets news today
1: by the way that was that was interesting wasn't it sure sir now uh Gonna miss some time. Well, I said, you know, it's funny, last night he somebody tweeted out this I'm glad you brought this up. Man, there's a lot of things that uh today that have been uh, I wanted to bring up on the show and forgot. Like normally I have a rundown or like notes that I would take. And sometimes I see things and I want to put it on my rundown, but I'm not near the rundown area, so then I'm like, ah, I gotta put that on my rundown. Well, I this was one of them. So somebody tweeted, Jimmy Trainer. Uh, over at Sports Illustrated tweeted, and I thought this was pretty funny. So he shows the video of Scherzer last night. who motion- Basically just saying I'm out, yeah. He motioned to the dugout that he has to leave the game. He's kind of, you know, like, you know, around his neck, like, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. And Traina tweets... Maybe this comes from watching too much Seinfeld and Curb Your Enthusiasm. But if a pitcher is injured, why can't he just walk off the field? Why does a 37-year-old man have to, have to stand wave. there waving for someone to come get him when he's hurt? Yeah, that's true.
7: I mean, you, you never see, like, you know, in hockey, they, they limp back to the bench, right, with one leg or whatever. And you see him the telltale sign is when they go up the tunnel, right? In basketball, they just lay and writhe on the ground, right? And what am I well, forgetting? It's one, thing, oh, and they-
1: it's one thing if you are injured and you need someone to assist you to get off the field or court or right. ice. In the Which most, is often
7: in football. Most yeah.
1: pitcher situation, it's like the guy's got a blister on his finger and he can no longer throw. Just walk off the field like, hey, I can't throw anymore. But no, he stands on the mound just waiting like, hey, somebody come out here and come get me. Like, you need this uh, guy's permission for you to tell him, hey, man, I can no longer throw. Can I now walk off the field? Do I have your blessing? Right. You got to come out and get me, Skip. Come out and get me. I'm toast. Right. I'm so done. then some schmucks got to come running out like... Hey, you can walk off the field now.
7: Well, not for nothing. I mean, that's not a normal thing. Scherzer's your one of your is your, your ace, right? So you're not expecting your ace to turn around and go. What inning was it, too? Uh, it was early, right? You're it was not in the
1: sixth game. inning last night. So early enough,
7: but you you're not expecting him to go. I'm out. <laughs>
1: Well, I mean, he's sitting there and he's, you know, he's like, hey, I'm done. And then, I don't know, like, they w- what have been the reports? Because there were some mixed reports like, ah, it's not that bad. And then there was uh, a video of somebody in the Mets dugout got caught, like, on film saying, like, oh, it's bad. It's bad. Like, as if, you know, this is pretty bad. So now you got Scherzer and DeGrom out for the Mets.
7: Right. They're talking six to eight weeks with this oblique strain, you know, Ooh. moderate to high grade. So, I mean, that, that's a long time. Now, of course, remember the Phillies played the Mets a bunch early and then they don't play them again now. In fact, I'm going to that series. I think it's in August. I think it's August 20th or something like that. It's a, Fine. it's a long way away until they, uh, till they play that.
1: Well, series. it's funny but because I have some Mets fans that like to text me. I, I haven't I heard much from them. I got them too. Yeah, I get
7: them, too. I mean, I heard from them a lot when they were playing each other square up. You know, that's for sure. And believe it or not, there was even a girl at my hair salon who's a Padres fan. You go to a
1: salon these days, P.T.?
7: Oh, yeah. I mean, the less hair I have, it needs more careful attention. Now, you know, it's funny. Like, when I had hair, okay, the the full thick head of hair, I had a callic in the front and a callic in the back. Now my father did what most dads would do: you take him to the barber shop, you plop him in the chair. It was Gus or Sal. Gus was the main guy. I never got Gus; I always got Sal. But uh, you know, they, they, Bing, Bang, Boom! You know, they, they cut the hair. Well, then my hair would stick up like Dennis the Menace, and I have very fine hair too, as you know. Little product so, helps, BT. Well, you know, now I'm just trying to thicken it up and <laughs> make it do whatever it can do. But uh, yeah, it. Uh, I, I basically. You know, my mother, may she rest in peace, uh, introduced me to the wonderful world of the actual hair salon. And for all those people out there that swear by their barber, God bless you. But the the barber
1: was not for the PT. All right. Well, I got a bunch of things. You know, I talk about my rundown and the different things that I want to talk about. I do have my trusty little rundown for the uh, PT segment here. All right, PT? Very good. So I want you to – have you heard any of this uh, Jimbo Fisher versus Nick Saban? Have you heard any of this going on? I
7: just saw a headline about it, but I'm not 100% familiar with what the story is.
1: This is uh, fireworks if we've ever seen them, Okay. So Saban oh, I saw essentially, the
7: said, some people think they're God. Yeah. so
1: Saban <laughs> comes out essentially and just throws Fisher and Texas A&M under the bus. He comes out and says, you know, Texas A&M has the number one recruiting class in the country. Well, they paid every single one of those players. We can't do that. Like, well, We don't have deep pockets to be able to do that. And uh, Jackson State, which is where Deion Sanders is the coach, he said, you know, they paid a guy right. a million bucks to go there. Like, we can't do that. So, of course, Jimbo Fisher calls an emergency press conference, and he just lamb eviscerates, lambastes him. So he's like, this guy thinks he's God. Well, guess what? Go start digging, and you'll find all the dirt on this guy. Oh, I mean, when they face each other on October 8th, you're going to need a steel cage over that field. (laughs) Some people think they're God. Go dig into how to God did
7: his deal you may find out a lot of things you don't want to know we build him up to be the czar of college football we'll go dig into his past or anybody that's ever coached with him and you can find out anything you want to know what he does and how he does it it's despicable now remember gill iverson's practice thing how many times did he say the word practice well i guess uh the the now equivalent today is that jimbo fisher in only nine and a half minutes said despicable like 12 or 13 times
1: right I mean uh he he just basically Randy Macho Man Savage came off the top rope and the elbow just connected to the sternum and there is Saban (laughs) on the ground just doing a you know body limp in the air just I mean he and then Saban just went on the radio recently today about an hour ago and said look I shouldn't have brought them up by name Yeah, that's true. He said, I shouldn't have brought up the specific schools
7: by name. And and you're right, too. I mean, it's like the other thing Fisher said today was what's funny is that before the, the talk, before he talked about the other schools he was soliciting funds from the crowd. Like, so in other words, like he goes, isn't that amazing? When God walks on water, I guess it doesn't matter. You know, he he really took some
1: shots. Yeah, he really did. All right. So today, uh, earlier today, my friend uh, who covers uh, the golf game for the Believe Podcast Network, that's uh, Cam Rogers. He's not really my friend. I don't really know him, but he's a friend of the show, I would say. Um, Okay. So Believe, their uh, Twitter handle is at Believe, B-L-E-A-V. They've had some really good tweets recently to play along with. So I'll let you play along with some of the questions that they've been asking because I think they've had some good ones. So, Pete Thompson, name a team from sports history that would have definitely won a title if not for injury. Um, and the listeners, be... the listeners, you guys can play along. Josh, I know what you mean? want to probably play along too. So yeah. you guys can play along. Name a team from sports history that would have definitely won a championship had it not been for injury. All right. So I'll go. I'll
7: go immediately to uh, the Flyers team the year that Tim Kerr couldn't keep his uh, couldn't keep his shoulder in. You know. That that uh, they they would have probably uh had five shoulder surgeries, but they probably would have won the cup. It was eighty seven, yeah. And he just he just couldn't. He had a shoulder injury in the second round, and and I I think they win the cup at eighty seven if they had Tim Kerr in the lineup.
1: Now well, that was uh, you know. now see that jersey over my left shoulder over there, PT. That TK's jersey on there? is from the nineteen eighty seven Stanley Cup runner up Philadelphia Flyers, autographed for the entire team. Yeah, and you know who the uh, con Smythe Trophy winner was in the
7: playoffs or in the Stanley Cup Finals that year, correct? Hextall. That's correct. Right. And that infamous story, I think we've now told that on the air about uh, in 87, they had the brawl in Montreal. That was before the game where um, Chico Resch and Ed Hospodar waited because Claude Lemieux was such a pain in the ass. He used to go out and shoot the puck. That was like his neurosis. He used to shoot the puck in the other team's net and be the last one off warmups. So after he did it a couple times in Philadelphia the Flyers were all pissed off about it and so they said no, we're not going to let him do this again so they acted like they were going to go up the tunnel they waited till he did it and then they jumped on the ice and you know, you got boxcar, hospital, now Chico Resch. What was he doing? He's not doing anything, right? But it was those two guys out. And then they came after Lemieux. Shane Corson came back out. And remember that? No, you've seen this video, haven't you? In 87, where the guys came back out of the dressing room, like half dressed. Like yeah. Dave Brown had his skates on. PJs, mind hockey you.
1: Pants I'm on a little he... young in, in 87, brother. But you've never seen or
7: we've never, you and I have never talked about this? I don't think so. I've seen it, but you and I have
1: never talked about this.
7: Oh, my gosh. But I thought I've – I mean, if I've not shared this story before, this is the infamous story where – Everybody came back out on the ice. Everybody was fighting with everybody. The game hadn't even started. This was pregame warm up so the officials didn't know what to do. You know, I mean, it, it was pandemonium, okay? All right. Uh, the best video, by the way, to get is the one with the French version, like it with the French announcers because it has more angles. But here's the story. You remember Iron Mike Keenan, By the way, right? I got
1: to play the Larry Colmus audio for Pete Thompson. I totally forgot about this. Go ahead.
7: Okay, Okay, Larry Komas, got it. I just need to tell you that you remember Mike Keenan, and you remember what a stern coach he was, right? Yes. The story goes that as the players started to file out of the uh, dressing room to go back, like to run back onto the ice to see what was going on and help out, Ron Hextall of fiery temper and, and mood wanted to join them, and Keenan told him, stay here. And then he actually locked Ron Hextall in the bathroom of the dressing room and said you effing stay in there you effing stay in there and then she's like but my teammates are out there and he goes you effing stay in there and don't come out. Because he knew if Hextall came out, they, they needed Hextall more than they needed to win some fight on the ice
6: yeah. 20 minutes
1: before <laughs> the game started. I've never told you that one. I thought I've told you that one. Maybe. I mean, not memorably yeah. enough. All right. Uh, Paul from Millville says the 2015 Cavaliers would have beaten the Warriors if Kyrie and Love didn't go down. Now, that's a really good Because you remember that series. They had like Matthew vadova. Like, that team was a shell of itself. All those guys from the cast got hurt, and, and LeBron basically carried that team to the finals, and, you know, I think they won a game or so against the Warriors, but... You know, they were completely undermanned. They won two I mean, games. We remember that, that
7: year the Sixers beat the Bulls without, what was it, Derrick Rose, right? The Sixers were the eighth seed
1: and the Bulls were the one? They were. And they had Derek Rose got hurt in game one. The Sixers beat them. And then later on in the series, Joachim Noah got hurt and that helped the Sixers win that series. Who knows? That Bulls team was the number one seed and Derek Rose was the MVP of the league that year. Yep. That's a good Unbelievable. pull by you, Peter thank you so somebody to show that i can do more than hockey some more of some of the responses about that hockey game last night 9-6 is that a when i
7: turned the score on like cuz i've been at the phillies when i saw the score 7-6 i'm like good lord is there
1: any defense in this and then i had so, to is watch is that a good you know? game or is that a, like the game in the world series a couple of years ago when uh, the, the 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 indians the then indians played the the cubs and the game was like 19 to 11 or something
7: yeah i don't think a purist would call that a good hockey game it was uh, surely an entertaining hockey game yeah. i would call it that but but i mean you got to have some defense i mean nine nine six what
1: are you playing in a beer and pretzel league all right, a couple more uh texts coming in uh, the 2021 baltimore ravens would have won the super bowl if not for injuries all right uh how about the 2019 warriors mm-hmm. um yeah they might i mean that was uh clay thompson got hurt right yep.
7: that's um, right no relation
1: uh if Plexico Burris didn't shoot himself, the Giants would have been the only team to repeat since the 0304 3 4 pass. That's remember, you know, Plexico shot himself in the leg. Remember that? Yeah, and then he got
7: in trouble for having a firearm in the city, and then all hell broke loose, and there you go. Somebody yeah, else said the well.
1: 2012 Bulls. Uh, the 2020 Kansas City Chiefs, they lost their entire offensive line that season, including Eric Fisher in the AFC Championship game and the Pro Bowl right tackle Mitchell Schwartz. In midseason mm-hmm. Yeah, you remember When the Chiefs played the Bucks In the Super Bowl Their offensive line was completely decimated um, Allow me to just throw in May the Schwartz be with you Alright, 2008 The New England Patriots 11-5 and five with Matt Castle In for Tom Brady Where they won the Super Bowl If Ooh. Brady never gets hurt well,
7: Brady getting hurt sure got Matt Castle a huge paycheck and extended his time in the league, didn't it?
1: Oh, uh, how about the night when Colt McCoy got hurt for uh, Texas uh, playing in the national championship game, and they had to bring in who was the backup quarterback in that situation? Josh, do you remember? Garrett Gilbert. There you go, Garrett oh, Gilbert, wow. a great sports bash guest. By the way, he was a great storyteller. Didn't you? Someday you got to get on
7: major Apple just so I can hear you say major time and time again.
1: If a situation comes up where his name needs to be spoken on this show, we will bring it up. Uh, by the way, Very how good. about the Eagles? Would they have beaten the Pats if To's one hundred percent? He had I mean, a monster thought, game anyway.
7: Look, I, I thought To had a hell of a game, right? I mean, right? He had a monster you know, game, and he was in this hyperbaric chamber and all that stuff. He was in for up in the huddle. He was the one guy that uh, I think they had a Brian Dawkins golf outing in Philly yesterday. I was seeing a lot of pictures of Derek Gunn. Uh, who happy birthday by the way he just celebrated his birthday gunner did the other day and uh yeah i was seeing a lot of old eagles faces all all playing golf
1: uh the 2020 49ers would have easily made the playoffs in a weak nsc and they were competitive against some of the top teams even with all the injuries that they had that was uh two years ago they got they they got they did get decimated by injury yep i agree yeah
7: no it's a good topic and it's a good question because there's there's a lot of what ifs and what could be and what could have been and you know, again, I instantly went to that year that Tim Kerr's shoulder couldn't stay in and socket. But, but there's all kinds of examples out there.
1: All right, so the question there was, and you guys can play along, keep them coming, 609-403-0973, 609-403-0973. Name a team from sports history that would have definitely won the title if not for injury, okay? That was number one. Now, number two... On the list of questions I had for you, PT. Yes, sir. Probably be a great question for you. Mm, Okay. All right. Because I answered the question Name a random sporting event that only you remember, but everybody else has forgotten. Name a random sporting event that only I
7: remember that everyone else has forgotten. A random Mm -hmm.
1: sporting event. Right a game or an event that will forever stick in your mind for whatever reason that you remember, but everybody else <laughs> listening has
7: forgotten. Can I, can, can I go obscure to, like, the time that I went to the philadelphia bulldogs roller hockey game and sat next to brian baldinger and met him for the first time at the spectrum and then when it was done we went over to the stadium holiday inn where the after party was going to be and i was drinking beers with tony danza and i go to that
3: story <laughs>
1: Yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> That's pretty random. That's better than mine for sure.
7: <laughs> <laughs> and it's certainly obscure. Nobody remembers that team.
1: Oh man. Yeah. I mean, I went with uh, the 19 uh, the 20 the 2007 backyard brawl when Pitt beat West Virginia 13 to 9. It was one of the worst sporting nights of my entire existence in my life. So I hated I that to... night more than anything ever. Any sporting event that we I've ever lost, ever, any game I've ever had any interest in, that loss was the worst <laughs> loss ever. Ever. Wow. The guy that I went to the Phillies with last
7: night, one of the one of our foursome, uh, he did his. In fact, you used to stay at his house back when we had the Margate uh, Mansion, if you Fine. will. But he he did his undergrad at Villanova, but he did his law. He went to law school at Pitt. And he said something about Pittsburgh or his time in Pittsburgh or something like I think we were talking about Mike Lang, of all people, uh, the former Penguins hockey announcer. Um, and so uh, he uh, beat he him said, like
1: a wretched mule. That's
7: right. Uh, scratch my back with a hacksaw. Uh, but he said something about Pitt. And I turned to him and told him what your response is off the air. Yeah. <laughs> Anytime you hear Pitt brought up. So he, he enjoyed that. He laughed at that. <laughs> audibly yeah well
1: <laughs> that <laughs> night well for now i was at the, now, the the worst game i was ever at the worst loss i was ever at there's uh, two of them maybe one you and i were at together right no you weren't there um when the phillies lost and ryan howard had the achilles tear and he goes down all oh, right yeah. that was the worst one of the worst losses i've ever been to in person but the other one was The Eagles lost in the NFC Championship game to the Carolina Panthers. The Ricky Manning Jr. throwing uh, Mm -hmm. Todd Pinkston around like a rag doll. That that game was horrible to be there. Now, I was at a game when I was a kid. The Eagles played the Rams in the playoffs. Jim Everett threw a touchdown to, like, Flipper Anderson at the vet. And he caught the ball, and he just kept running up the tunnel, and it was just like a blowout city. So those are like there some was of the a loss. year that
7: Eagles lost in the playoffs to the Rams, and the Eagles had a really good team, and it was New Year's Eve too, because I remember that the game was at the Vet at New Year's. The Rams were the wild card team, the Eagles were the better team. They were supposed to win. The Rams came in and won the game, and then when it was finished, I was like, "That was well, it." It's New Year's Eve. I guess it's time to go get bombed. <laughs> try, try to forget the final score.
1: All right. A couple more text messages coming in. How about guys in 91 when the Eagles had Randall Cunningham when Bryce Pulp took him out?
7: Oh, uh, yeah. Bryce Pulp hit him in the against Green Bay. Uh, yeah. I mean, because it's not like Randall. It, you just had to have somebody serviceable, right? And yeah, they, and they just had nobody. They had nobody. Jim it, McMahon, it was,
1: Pat Ryan. Yeah. Pat
7: Brad Ryan. Aesop's oh Gable, Brad Gable is uh, Pat Ryan the guy that the the co type brought in from the like construction site. I think so. He, he was like doing wood carpentry Gee. and hammering a nail. And Jack, Kemp. they said, "Hey Ryan, there's, there's a coach on the phone for you." <laughs> Jack Kemper, Jack Kemp, uh, Jack Kemp, or Jack, Jack what was the, uh, Jeff Kemp. Was the kid
1: right? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, one of the, his dad was like a senator or something. Yeah, Jim McMahon was the quarterback, and he was all right. Yeah. And he got hurt, and then they just like you know fell apart. Um, Did I tell you my
7: impression of Jim Jim Matt McMahon? Ca- by the way,
1: Matt Cavanaugh was he one of them? Oh, Matt
7: Cavanaugh? I think so. Yeah, he ended up doing better as a coordinator, didn't he?
2: So it was Jeff Kemp.
7: It the son Jeff of Kemp. Jack Kemp. Jeff Kemp, Kemp.
2: Yeah. son of Jack Kemp. You got yeah. Jim McMahon. You got Pat Ryan. And Brad Gable,
1: that is correct. Okay, and, uh, and a Hall
7: of Fame defense.
1: Uh, some
2: more just uh, wanted
7: their
1: quarterback to do something, guys. What if uh, Stevens never laid out Lindros? Yeah, well, keep your head up, 88, you know. Yeah, so you have no sympathy there, it sounds like.
7: Well, it's interesting. I, I, I like Eric as a person now, I, I you know, and I, I think back then, like, people got mesmerized. Look, the guy. He had such potential if his parents didn't interfere and get involved, you know, and uh, there was really bad blood for a long time. And it, it's there, there's a great story of unrealized potential.
1: You know uh, what I mean? Last one, Gil. Ironically, my friend and I, both from Paulsboro, were just talking about this game Rams versus Eagles, 1989 playoffs. Flipper ran through the tunnel the next week against the Giants to put them in the NFC title game. That's it. That's that year, 89. Yeah, I was at that game. I was sitting in the yeah. 700 level, and uh, right. Jim Everett, they, you know, they killed him. That was my senior high school. I remember that. All right, PT. It was good uh, for you to fill wow. in for Todd Rank today.
7: No- nothing about uh, Tiger Woods or the PGA or nothing, huh?
1: <laughs> Tiger's getting killed. Rory's running away. Well, I mean, Tiger started off 200. Yeah, well, he shame. started off under. He ended up four over. He shot as yeah. bad as I did on Monday.
7: His first five holes were unbelievable.
1: What? But then it all went downhill after that.
7: Yeah, glad I could step in. Have fun with Todd tomorrow. I'm going to the Who. I'll ask him to play uh, the Seeker for you, and uh, I'll right. hope to hear Squeezebox.
1: All right, man. See you. All right. See you, buddy. All right. That's uh, Todd Rank. Uh, well, that's uh, Pete Thompson filling in for Todd Rank. Todd will be in on tomorrow on Happy Hour Friday. Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. Uh, Jeff Nadeau. All right, he's going to join me on the other side. Big man on campus. Uh why he placed a future's bet on the Eagles. Stick around, that's next. Nice. Now, back to the 3 ESPN. By right, 532, Sports Bash Live 97.3 ESPN. So, throughout this week, it's Thursday. We've had a lot of uh, TV discussion. So I figured uh, Jeff Nadeau would be a good person to ask. I have a lot of TV questions, so he'll help me there. And he's got Eagles stuff. They made the big signing yesterday, Jeff Nadeau, which has us compelled to discuss. Is it um, wise to think about the Eagles in the futures market here, man? I mean, I think it is, Mike.
8: Uh, You know, when you look at kind of where they are And where they're positioned i mean the thought process is with most fans and really with betters alike the thought process is the eagles are are the the favorite in the nfc east at this point i think they're better on defense on paper than the dallas cowboys i think offensively they can match up it really is going to come down to jalen hurts look if jalen hurts plays at a high level this team could go to the super bowl they're very star-studded on the offense and defense um You know, it makes me wonder, Mike, and I I hate to be this guy, but I'm going to mention it. You imagine if the Eagles took Kyle Hamilton and maybe took a defensive tackle in the second round as opposed to a backup center? How would you feel? Would you feel better? Would you feel the same? Would you feel, you know, worse? I have to wonder. Look, I know people love Jordan Davis. I guess for me, that more is why for me, when I look at it now, you could have the best secondary in football, arguably, with – you know, someone like Hamilton at the back. But right now, I think you have to look at the Eagles kind of in that second-tier role. You're going to get a great price on them. Uh, quite frankly, you're not going to have to pay uh, 10, 12 to 1. You look at right now in the market, you know, after the trade yesterday, the Eagles are sitting at 30 to 1. They're right there with Arizona, Minnesota, Tennessee, teams like that. I feel like that's a great price on the Eagles especially if you believe they can make the playoffs.
1: So you jumped in on that uh on that price for Philadelphia because I guess one of the questions is are they now the favorite in the NFC East, you know, and if that's the case, now you get a home playoff game, you get it you get that opportunity to play at home in the playoffs instead of having to play on the road like last year in Tampa Bay.
8: It's integral that if they want to make a run, I think we saw well, obviously in the Super Bowl year how important it is to have you know, a home playoff game, right, or multiple playoff games. And we look at the pecking order in the, you know, the NFC. Now, obviously, Tampa's going to be really good. I think Green Bay's going to come right back and, and, and have some success. But, you know, I heard other shows, Derek Gunn made a point on another another network about, you know, Devontae Adams and how big of a loss that is. That's not easy to replace. You look at the LA Rams, I'm never going to pick a team to repeat. Um, I actually took the Eagles at 40-1. to 1. I got a better price than, than yesterday or today, but Um, I think at 30, 40 to 1, I think it's a good price. This team, top to bottom, there's a lot to like. And when you're just kind of nitpicking and saying, well, um, we're pretty happy with the safeties. We're not in love with it, but we're pretty happy with it. Plus, we have to ask ourselves, maybe a guy like Kayvon Wallace looks like the player maybe some people thought he could be. We really haven't seen. Maybe one of these uh, undrafted kids like Reed Blankenship can come in and give them some depth there. So I don't mind their safeties. I wonder if they'll address it, though.
1: Yeah, I agree. Uh, I I think the move yesterday kind of said the Eagles are okay if these guys are their safeties. That's why they make the Bradbury move. Now, the Bradbury move, you know, is all-encompassing. I know you're talking about Kyle Hamilton, but I think the way they want to call their defense is incumbent on how their defensive tackles play, and I guess they're saying, hey, we need this guy to do this. You know, because you remember last year, Jeff, you remember when Fletcher Cox – had that whole blow-up where he's like, well, I get paid to rush the passer. That's what they pay me to do. Well, because John Gannon was trying to use Fletcher Cox like he wants to use Jordan Davis. Well, if
8: it works out like that, then obviously, and that's, I think, what they think, and that's what they see long-term. He's not maybe going to get to the quarterback, but he's going to make it easy for others to get to the quarterback. Um, You know, you also look at the Bradbury move. One of the underrated parts of it is it is a one-year deal. It is a contract year for Mr. Bradbury, so if he plays well, the thought process is, look, if you play at a Pro Bowl level, uh, you're going to get a big payday. So, you know, plus remember, Mike, this is a team that has some first round picks again next year. So where, Two. Well, let's say it doesn't work out with a Bradbury, you could always take him. You can also, look, I also think, Mike, it's not out of the question to think that they're going to try to move Dillard, Rager, maybe a pick next year in the second or third round and maybe try to get a Jesse Bates, a Chuck Clark. Well,
1: that's a move that that could still happen out there, I think. Oh, absolutely. I I I think if they do something, it's because there's a guy who's disgruntled and doesn't want to be there, like this Bates situation where he doesn't want to show up to camp. And at the last minute, the Eagles, you know, Howie Roseman, you know, calls and says, hey, I got Dillard. I've got a couple, I got Isaac. Isaac Sayamal is a guy that I think that they would be willing to move now, too.
8: Yeah, there's all sorts of guys, and you know that's the good thing about this team, Mike. I think another under. So wait, the GM has up, done a good job. Uh, absolutely, I don't think you could say he can. I think if you're saying he isn't, you're living on another planet. You haven't really watched what they've done, and you're just going to complain about everything. But Mike, an underrated part of look, I'm not saying I want a mediocre quarterback that's just a game manager can do what he needs to do. I want a high level quarterback. But I think the truth of the matter is. For basically like half the season, maybe more, this team did not have any interest in running the football. And they still were seven yards better than any team in the NFL from a rush yard standpoint per game. When they dedicated it to the run, even with players out, they were extremely effective. Well, their offensive line is
1: their offensive line is outstanding.
8: No, and think if they had done it all year. I talked to do last year. But there were certain games, like True. Kansas City at one point. Right, they, they might led. have been a
1: better seed.
8: Right, and they could have you know won a, a game or two more. So, again, do we need Jalen Hurts? I told a Twitter post today, does Jalen Hurts need to be a great quarterback for them to make a deep run? I don't think. I think he just needs –
1: he can't stay the same. He can't go no, back. He just right. needs to take a small step forward. But they absolutely. have put the things in place for him to be able to make that step.
8: He needs to make some of the throws that he wasn't able to make. Well, some of those by throws, the way,
1: some of the throws that he makes, he's going to have someone that can help him out in A.J. Brown. He didn't have that guy last year.
8: Oh, absolutely. And and that's another thing we need to look at. You know, we've talked about this really since I was born, okay? The Eagles have never surrounded quarterbacks with weapons, whether it be five, whether it be Wentz, whoever, the one year they did it, they went to the Super Bowl, ended up losing. And you look at the other year they did it, they went to the Super Bowl and won. Yeah, you've got to surround your quarterback with weapons. We all know that. You know, when you when you're a schoolyard uh, football player, you want the best players, you want the athletes, you want the. If you don't have anybody, you're not going to succeed. It's pretty simple. He has all the tools to succeed, and if he doesn't succeed. You know, they can cut bait and and take a quarterback or do something in free
1: agency. Right, I want to fit a bunch of stuff in here. By the way, do you have any other futures NFLs that you that are enticing?
8: Yeah, I played the Chargers. I'm going to keep you know I'm going to keep kind of falling in love with this team in the offseason every year. <laughs> um, I think defensively they kind of remind me of what you know the Rams were. I think they can be. They're really good in that end. I love Justin Herbert. And I thought they did some nice things in the draft to really shore up their offensive line, which I thought was a major problem for this group. They're very talented at the receiver position, uh, plenty of weapons. Um, They have a nice little price, around 20 to 1. I think at the AFC, I'm pretty high on the uh, LA Rams or LA Chargers, especially with the Chiefs taking a step back and losing Tyreek Hill.
1: All right. um, Let me ask you a couple of my TV thoughts here, okay? You're a TV yeah. aficionado, I would say. Correct. I try to be. Okay. Well, it's more than I would say. It's so, stuff I like. Now I know you didn't like Ozark. No, I did not. Okay, so keep that. Keep your opinion of the ending or the the seven yeah, out yeah. of it.
8: I'll be honest, Mike. To this day, I haven't actually seen the ending. I read the ending online.
1: All right. Well, I have enjoyed Ozark. I watched the first seven episodes of this fourth season. I have not seen the last seven. Reason. Uh-huh. I started watching the Blacklist, and now I'm in the fourth season. I I just ended the fourth season, so do I keep going on the Blacklist, or am I? Do I have to go now and finish these seven episodes of Ozark, and then go back to the Black? I can't go all the way through the Blacklist before I watch these seven s- episodes, right? I got to get those seven episodes done. Let me ask you, Mike. What sort
8: do you like more?
1: Uh, I mean, I like Blacklist, but I, I'm so in, like I'm I'm at the end of the line at Ozark. There's only seven episodes left.
8: Yeah, so you watch the end. Look, Mike. To me, I would tell you right now. Now, did you watch Blacklist? Pretty, I have not.
1: No. Okay. James I don't
8: Spader. I It's not good personally, so I I wouldn't. You know, there are certain shows like for me another show that I didn't. I mean, I thought it was good for like a season or two. I stopped watching Succession as well. It just. It, it lost a lot of interest to me. There's not enough going on. Um, I guess for me, and maybe this is why I shouldn't be called an aficionado when it comes to TV. I can't stand TV that gets fake. It becomes because if you're going to continue to sell to us that this is a real portrayal, this is something that is based on something. So you don't
1: like um, winning time?
8: No. Well, that's another thing. I mean, I just, you could just watch it and say this is super cringy and corny. Very you know? I, I I'm more into like you know, real events if you're going to base something on real events you know, like Breaking Bad I think that's one of the knocks on Breaking Bad it just got just got too hard to believe Sons of Anarchy another one Sons of Anarchy was a great show but towards the end it just got hard to believe yeah a lot of just, like, like oh, okay
1: so speaking of Breaking Bad so I just started Better Call Saul I'm into season two right now did you see that You
8: know, I watched, I I have to get to Better Call Saul, but I I have this kind of thing where I very rarely watch a show and that just finished, right? Or it's about to finish?
1: It's finishing this season, yeah.
8: Yeah, I'm a big fan of, um, if if the show's not put out right away, I like to wait till it's done and then rewatch it. The only show that I'm actively watching from week to week uh, is We Own the City, which is only a six part uh, miniseries. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'll wait for Better Call Saul to complete. And then I'll watch it. Well, see, but like, I have
1: watched the first episode. Well, I, like- I started Better Call Saul, like, when it first came out. And I only got through three or so episodes. And it's been, like, however many years now, four or five. And then I was like, you know what? I really wanted to go see it. So I started it. Now I'm in the second season. But I also got the blacklist going. Now, the blacklist started, like, 2013. I'm in season four. There's still, they're still first-run episodes on. They're going to have season 10 coming out next year or something.
8: Yeah, I think to me that's way too long for a show. I think a show's kind of shelf life is five or six seasons. That could even be too long. Um, The shows that know when to stop at the right time, like The Wire, I think that's kind of the best show ever made just because of also the fact that it didn't go too long. They didn't continue with stupid films or prequels or sequels. They just kept it to five seasons, and that was it.
1: Yeah, the um, so – the the other one, uh, so there's a lot going on. There's a lot of stuff out there. People keep throwing me stuff, but I was like, I can't take any more on. I'm going blacklist, and I made a, I made a pack. I'm going to go to the end of season four. When I get to the end of season four, which I now have, I'm going to hit the pause button on blacklist, go to the seven episodes of Ozark, take care of that, then I'll go back to the blacklist. That's how I'm going to do this.
8: Fair enough. I mean, I, I, I feel like you go with whatever one you like better. Uh, like I said, I, I, I didn't find Ozark to be, you know, I thought it got really poor after like a season or two, but um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's really what you, you want to watch. All
1: right. So what do you have? What, what are your uh, TV takes right now?
8: Yeah. So right now I'm, I'm, I'm obviously I'm watching this. We in the city. It's, it's terrific. Um, What's that on? I'm very uh, caught up with, this is all based on real events. And I know a lot about the case
1: that they're, that they're, they're, is that a Netflix? In. No, HBO Max. Uh, all these HBO Max are killing me,
8: Mike. I got to give you my, between you and me, I got to give you my login so you could watch these shows. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's terrific. Burnthal, John Burnthal's awesome. Uh, it's, it's the Craters of the Wire, so uh, it's really well done. So uh, I'm watching that right now. Um, I'm doing a lot of re watching of shows, um, you know, doing some of that stuff over again, but, um, you know, and, Mike, you know, another thing. First 48's put new episodes out. So I'm still watching. That's the greatest show to me ever made outside of the wire. I know a lot of people think I'm crazy. That show is incredibly well done. It's critically acclaimed incredibly. Well, it, I it's love funny.
1: Show. Yeah, well, so when I was calling the, the MMA, U- the CFFC fights for UFC Fight Pass, I did the fights and CM Punk was my analyst. So he was showing up for the thing late one day to our pre-fight meeting, and he said he was up till 5 o'clock in the morning watching the first 48. He was like, I'm I was up all you, night. Like, I couldn't go to sleep. Show.
8: It's the only show I've ever seen that is actually based on real events, and it, it's it's not – there's no reality. It's not reality garbage that they make up. It's
1: just a real case, and they either solve it or don't. It's – awesome like uh we got this, sure. t- this guy says the godfather of harlem forrest whitaker and Terry. very underrated that sounds like it would be something you. it's remember. all
8: fake though it's not true
1: not true story
8: I- i've also heard i'm gonna start watching this once uh the um the uh we in the cities over the offer i've heard is kind of good
1: uh get mike what he needs who, who can't get mike what he needs who can't what it seems like you're looking for something mike Oh, I, well, because I'm watching you on the screen. and oh, you like watching me. I thought you wanted something. I'm like, get Mike what he needs. No, 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 no. So people always ask me that. Like, So I'm watching you on the video, and over here is where I have, like, the, the messages come in, and I'll start scrolling through the text messages. Oh, so good. That I, can I, I
8: will say, though, I like uh, Chaz Palminteri a lot. I had him on if the show
1: was- one time, and he cursed. You what? He was on the show as a guest one time, and he cursed. Oh, really? Yeah.
6: <laughs>
8: <laughs> That's funny. He's not a cursing guy, it seems like. But, no, I, I Godfather of Harlem is just, for a mafia aficionado and, and a crime aficionado, it's, it's, it's pretty rough. I
1: mean. All right, so how's the sit-down? You still rolling with it?
8: Sit-down's great, man. About 60 episodes in, I continue 60. to crank stuff out, get more people. I'm over a million and a half listens, so yeah, it's, it's a good show, and, and we're happy with it.
1: All right, well, college football—that uh, story is bizarre, huh?
8: I'm already I'm already knee deep in the season. Listen, good for Jimbo Fisher, Nick the Narcissist. I'm tired of this guy. Um, you know, constantly. I agree.
1: I agree, but Jimbo Fisher is acting like he is a like a like a, like a part of a choir. Really. Come on, dude. <laughs> You got no, you, I you're a hundred percent absolved of any wrongdoing in your program. Throwing
8: stones in glass houses here. Yeah,
1: come on, man. Hello, Kettle. Did you just call, my name's Pot. Did you just call me black? Come on, dude. All Absolutely. right. Jeff Nadu, the podcast, the sit down at Jeff Nadu on Twitter, big man on campus. We'll have college football season less than a hundred days away. I'll talk to you, man. Thanks, Mike. All See right, you later. there we go. Uh he's got the futures bet. On the Eagles, baby. Eagles. He got him at what? 40 to 1, he said. Get out there and make that dough, yo. All right, we'll close out the show next. Now, back with Mike Gill
0: on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey sports leader.
1: All right, we're getting ready to wrap up the show on a Thursday. I'll be back tomorrow for Happy Hour Friday. We're busy on Friday. Mike McGarry will be here, Ryan, Todd Rank tomorrow as well. Now tonight we got Heat and Celtics. Um, Smart's back, Horford's back.
2: Yes. I haven't seen anything otherwise. Everything I've well, because earlier in the day for those who don't know, apparently they've been they basically testing Horford constantly. They try to get a negative. A couple of negatives out of him so he can return. And then all of a sudden, he went from being doubtful to questionable. then from questionable to probable. So, and I kind of always assumed that Smart was going to play game two anyway, just because of the fact that his injury was not that severe.
1: Yeah, well, I like the heat tonight. I like the heat in the series. I feel like I was like one of the only few. I've kind of been steadfast on that. So.
2: I, I made a bet on the Heat to win the series. There
1: you go. Well, I heard Jay Will today say, Nobody's talking about the Heat. I like the Heat. I picked them to win the series. That was before Horford and Smart were out. So I like the Heat tonight. I think they'll go up two games to none. I'll probably be wrong. <laughs> we'll have that one random guy that, like, you said they were going to lose and they won. <laughs> You remember saying the Heat were going to win and they lost. I sure do. (laughs) I'm not going to be right 100% of the time. I apologize. And I might not be right on this one, but that's my opinion tonight. I like the Heat. And you can hear that game here on 97.3 ESPN. Uh, Reed Fowler is up tonight. 620 on game night.
2: Little PGA Championship talk.
1: Tiger, not a good day.